Hello, welcome to episode 220 of Three Bears in a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with... Stu McFall. We are gathered today on a very special... This is my favourite pod of the year when we get to discuss everything that's happened over the past 360-odd days of cinematic and film nonsense. Um, and it's nice to reflect on it all. I enjoy it, man. Um, it's it's funny because you know, about 700 films into a seven-day period. So I, <laughs> you, I, I, thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, you do tend to leave it to the last minute to try and watch some stuff. You really just need to sort of parcel this out throughout the, the 360-odd days of the year to try and make it a little bit easier on yourself. Yeah, man, that's it. And it, it means I remember the stuff as well. When I the start of the year, I, I would have forgotten completely about them. You know? Well, that's true, yeah, because I, like, I was looking back on this year and I was like, sort of like, holy shit, there's like there's so much stuff I'd actually forgotten was out at the start of the year. And I'm like, fuck, like that could make my top 10. It might make my top 10. But I'd like, I'd almost like, anything that happened before May, you almost dismiss. You almost like just completely yeah. forget about. But there was, yeah. but well, there's all the Oscar stuff from the 2021 Oscars. So 2020 Oscars, we don't get that until... Um, like January, February over here, and same, it'll be the same next year again as well. And um, we won't get a lot of stuff that's sort of making headlines just now, and like you know, like licorice pizza and things like that. They'll be, they won't actually hit us until um, like uh, New Year's Day. Um, but yeah, are you drinking anything for this auspicious event? I am a very predictable. I'm going with a thoroughly unoriginal brew dog. Do you remember when drinking brew was cool rather than? Yeah. it's become like you've almost. Day. Yeah, you've almost got to go and find one of the sort of the off-brand ones, the ones that they sort of like they they add something to, like possibly you know they do like a guava version or they do something like a double impact one or something, rather than just drinking the box standard one to feel yourself being cool again. Yeah, yeah. they have kind of fallen into that, that sort of um, the brand. The brands became too recognisable. It's it's lost its punkness. They are the Ramones now, where like every kid is now wearing a Ramones t-shirt and they've no idea who the Ramones. I'm never are. listening to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly no right. Yeah, um, I want. I, I picked one specifically because I like the name, and I thought you would appreciate the name as well. And it's called Apocalyptic Thunder Juice. <laughs> well, that's and why I, I call my semen. So, yeah, that's that, what I thought. Yeah. Um, so, so I picked that one. I got it today, so I'm like, oh, that's a, that's <laughs> a, it. It's got a kick. It's like six point five percent, and it's from I don't know who it's from. It's from some random brewery, Admonson Brewery. I don't know where they're from. Um, it's it sounds very um, like Nordic, but it's a New England IPA. But it's it's got a kick to it. It's very fruity, but it has got a kick to it. I can see where the at least where the thunder just comes from. Not quite sure where the apocalyptic part of it comes from yet. Uh, but yeah, it's good. After, after you have five, yeah, yeah after, I've only got one, so I have one, and I'll, I'll go a bit later after that. Um, but yeah, so I start off very generally with, with two thousand one in review. So again, it's quite a trying year for cinema again, and um, obviously with um, the number of lockdowns yeah. and cinemas not reopening again until sort of was it May June time they sort of properly kind of reopened again around about then. Yeah. So you're losing a good six months worth of, of cinematic time. Um, and I have noticed in the last sort of like six to eight months, they do seem to be even more doubling down on this tentpole release cinema. You know, mm. it's it's key movies are putting out, key movies are promoting and pushing, which is really contracting the the cinematic landscape. There's not a lot of room for the sort of one maybe films we would like, the kind of mid level ones, mm. the the, mm. the lower budget ones, the indie films that they seem to be more and more pushed out. Just and I actually get it more now than I ever did. Cinemas need to try and get people to sit in seats. And Spider-Man get people in seats, whereas, you know, something like even, you know, The Last Jewel doesn't get people in seats. So they have to they have to favour what's what's big. And it's a shame, but it's what it has to be. Um, but I have enjoyed that streaming seems to have taken up a little bit of the slack. There, is, there seems to be a decent effort from a lot of the streaming services to try and generally be quite innovative. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's been um, more of a step up from the, the streaming platforms um, coming out. 
Uh, I mean, Nomad Land, and that, that that have come out pretty much immediately after Magic. Or if you live in the Isle of Man, you know they don't come in at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that fire away, dude. Keep going. You're saying, um, yeah, it's to the the big hitters. Uh, I think for once we can actually be. Uh, I'm echoing your point, really. We can be. Uh, understanding of the the studio's need to really push these films because we are just trying to reclaim what's lost yeah. and what has been lost over the past couple of years. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's, it's it is frustrating for myself because like I do want to see other films in the cinema. Like I want to see you know some of the stuff we're going to talk about later on. I want to see things like um, you know Palm Springs and and uh, like another round in the cinema. But to try and get these in the cinema just felt it was very difficult to try and find someone to see them um, and. It's not. It's not your your arty cinemas. They they're always going to have these films. It's the um, you know, it's your big multiplexes that are really lacking, you know, in the real because obviously they need to make more money to all to, to stay open because they're, they're running like fifteen screens and they're employing a lot more people and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's tough, but I, I, I do understand it right now. And I'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping they see this as more of a, a means to an end, just to sort of get everybody over the, the COVID hump and get people back to normal. And then when the world does start to hopefully level off and become just the way it was. They do start to pepper in again these other films and have a, a wider range of movies in the cinema. Um, because I feel if it just becomes a tentpole releases, it's going to suck. Um, and, and and so really, hopefully it's not. But who knows? Maybe maybe this will be a, a sea change and it'll eventually just be this is what we do. We go we go to cinema to go and see Spider Man, but anything else what we watch, we just sit and watch it on Amazon or Netflix. Um. But, Which is what I like to call living on the Isle of Man. Yeah, true. I, I'm, I'm probably being <laughs> very selfish and very spoiled, the fact that I have been able to go and see you know, films that you couldn't see in the cinema, that I could no, see no. in the cinema. No, no, man. I, the, in all seriousness, like the, there is something magical about seeing um, in, an independent film or a, a smaller film on that big screen. There really is. And that is... It's the full breadth of films. You yeah. are a person who adores films and all their yeah. forms, from the blockbuster to the DIY indie, and you want to see them where they, at the at the most where they were born to be seen, which is yeah. on the cinema. And I think that applies for all films. Yeah, I get, it's like it's like when you look at gigs. You know, you don't want to always see a gig in a massive ten thousand seat arena. You sometimes you want to see it with fifty people. You know, doesn't matter who it is. You can, there's, there's still an enjoyment in watching, you know, a small band as well as a big band. Um, and that's how I feel about movies right now. Is I, I want to see more in the cinema. Um, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully in time, they'll pick up their game in that respect and they'll, they'll start getting back to normal. But <coughs> with that in mind, um, we'll have a look at the worldwide top 10 grosses. It's an, in a way, it's a nice list, but it's also quite a depressing list when I, when I started to break it down. Um, so Predictable. I, yeah, I have refined it slightly because there was one, two, three, three films in it. They would have made the top 10, but they're all Chinese releases that got literally no release outside of China. So I feel I felt it was unfair to put them in the list. Um, because obviously China's got its inbuilt massive audience. So it it, it sort of skewed the figures a little bit with, with, with where they would be. Um, but they would have been like all top five if they had um, if they'd been if they'd been put in the list. Um beyond that, for yeah, beyond that, the worldwide top 10 out of the 10 films in it, only one is an original idea. Wow. Not a franchise, not based on a book, not based on you know existing IP. It's a one-off, completely independent idea. And even at that, it's not a particularly and it's still very much a studio film. Um, and that is number 10 on the list, and that's Free Guy, which made 331 million at the box office. Uh, this is dollars. And that's the only sort of original idea in air quotes that, that made it into the top 10. Um wow. 
it's I mean it's a nice film. It's a fine film. I, I I laughed and giggled at it, but it does. It's whenever I when I watched it, it is a film made by committee. It feels very corporate. You can have, you can see every producer's hand on the camera essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Does um does that does that film is that film success due to the 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 fact that there was very little before it and it, it came out around the time of oh there's a film on at the cinema we need to go it could be anything I think absolutely that's part of it I think also Ryan Rodney Reynolds is also a man who gets people in seats yeah. he is, he's a very charming guy and people do like him um, so I think that played a big part in it as well because a couple of other films that came out in the cinema near that around about that time like Jungle Cruise and things like that, they never really captured the um, the interest so I think no. I think I think a big part of it is people like that actor. Yes. Um, yeah. So that gets people out. So that, that was number 10 at 331 million, which is not, not a bad figure, considering as well that pretty much within about three weeks of coming out, it was on Disney Plus. You know, still making that money is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, number nine is the first Marvel film on the list, which is Black Widow, which made 379 million. Um, again, impressive because that went, it, it was a dual release, wasn't it? It was out on Disney Plus and the cinema at the same time. It was, um, yeah. so, in fact, people still went to cinema and see it, and um, obviously speak volumes to it. Um, not to Scarlett Johansson, who obviously sued the ass of Disney because of that. Um, <laughs> but again, I think that also speaks to people. People still see the MCU and Marvel films as events. You know, you want to see it in the cinema. You want to see it with like like-minded people. You don't want to watch it in a vacuum. Um, mm-hmm. I think this one did suffer from people not really knowing it was out in the cinema, um, and that's why you thought of it's. Um, his grosses are pretty low. Also, it's probably a film that would come out at least five years too late. Um, totally. Of, you know, it should have been out well before Avengers, to be honest. It was it, just, it was definitely a much... It felt like they were given a wee bit of victory lap just after what happened in Endgame, but it felt like it, it didn't... It, it was definitely too late in, it, in having real impact um, like on, in an audience psyche, because you, you already know the, the outcome of every person's story almost, so... Yeah, you, you, it, all Jeopardy was gone, all the fire in the belly had gone so you're watching it because you like that character but ultimately there's uh, as well done as it is in the you know the marvel machine who never really yeah. failed it's it was it was a bit of a damp squib really wasn't it yeah apart from i thought that i thought it had a great opening and um, opening 10 minutes yeah. i thought it was awesome with the family fleed from the from the, mm. like hometown but other than that i thought it was a bit average um number eight is a film that made Thankfully for all the geeks out there, made a lot of money, and um, so they're going to be a sequel, and that is June, which made three hundred and ninety-three million. Um, I went into this film with much intrepidation um, because I tried to read the book on multiple occasions and found it to be absolutely impregnable, absolute fucking nonsense. Um, <laughs> but the film does a good job of making that nonsense into a coherent film, and it looks absolutely stunning, which you would expect from a Dini Villeneuve film that was shot by um, the Coen Brothers man. Um, um, Deacons, Royal Deacons. It's it's not going to be a bad looking film, and it pretty much delivered that as a stunningly good looking film. Um, generally surprised it made quite as much money as that, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Villeneuve is kind of the new Nolan, isn't he? He's like mm. that. The he doesn't quite hit the same heights of him in terms of box office, but he no. is an auteur who yes. straddles the line between art and and uh, blockbuster. Um, yeah, still to see it. And I'm a huge Villeneuve fan, but um, yeah, uh, I've got friends who adore it. I've got friends who are ambivalent about it. So I'm kind of ambivalent about the story it. of it. Like the story didn't. The story was very much okay, but it looks amazing. Like it, it's hard to describe just how good this film looks. Um, 
which when you consider it actually costs less money to make than Red Notice, it was on Netflix, it's, it's quite amazing because um, Red Notice wow. at times looks fucking horrendous for a film um, with that kind of budget. <laughs> um, but yeah, so number eight was June, 393 million. Finally crossing the 400 million barrier uh, dollars was Eternals, which by Marvel standards is quite a low, you know, a, a low swinger, um, to be honest. But again, looked amazing. Um, Chloe Zhao again knows how to shoot a film. Um, story is what it was. It, it, it was a film that felt like it should have been a TV show a little bit, or at least be three different films in order to try and build. It, it was doing a lot of heavy lifting um, yeah. in, in two and a half hours. So it's, I enjoyed it, but maybe not as much as I have other ones. It's definitely low-tier Marvel for me. Yeah, I, I'm yet to see, but uh, I, again, heard very mixed things, but I'm big fan of Chloe Zero, so I, I will get around to it eventually. Yep. Um, number six is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which made $432 million. Um, I enjoyed it. It, kind of, it was fun. It was it was just a Marvel origin film. You know, it fell away in the third act when it went big and silly. But totally. for the most part, um, I, I really liked it. I thought the leads were charming. And um, it didn't do... I think people were disappointed it didn't quite do Black Panther numbers, which is what, what everyone was kind of expecting, for, you know, because it's the first sort of South Asian hero. But just didn't quite have the same... Kind of impacts that, but I think again, COVID has a lot to do with that. Cinema's not been quite as full, um, but yeah, no, I, I thought it was a decent, solid film. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed Shang Chi far more than I expected to. The boy is uh, a Marvel geek, and you know, I went for him and his cousin, and uh, yeah, I, I felt that actually there was a sprinkling of new life into the the Marvel origin story with it. It really kind of drew upon <laughs> some some um, Southeast Asian cinema cinematic influence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was genuine real heart to it at times as well. I thought the 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 complexities of parenthood were actually detailed fantastically. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it disappeared and became a bloated mess. The last act, like you say, though. But gen- also genuinely decent villain. Marvel has been yeah. at times to suffer from its villains. You know, they've not quite hit the heights. You know, we've had Thanos also a great one, but other than that, they've been a wee bit hit and miss with some of the villains. Um, I thought the villain in Shang Chi was excellent. I thought it really, right. like you said, the whole father. Sun dynamic worked really well in it. Um, number five on the list, which was the highest earning film that also got a um, like VOD release at the same time, and that was Godzilla versus Kong, which made four hundred sixty-seven million. Um, it's on my top ten list because for reasons it's got a giant dinosaur fighting a giant ape. <laughs> um, and it's, to be honest, to me, it was just, it's exactly what cinema needed. It's completely and utterly ridiculous. It's completely and utterly stupid. Um, it's barely 90, I think it's 100 minutes long. You get at least four decent matchups of Godzilla and Kong fighting. One of them on a fucking battleship, for God's sake, so it feels like a video game. It gave me everything you wanted to give. Were the human characters pointless in it? The human characters were completely pointless in it and had, no, <laughs> had absolutely no need to be there. But when you get to see Godzilla and Kong line up against each other and then they're fighting another bad guy who I won't mention just to say it's spoil for anyone, I was 100% with it. I loved it. It's completely my wheelhouse. And it's what cinema should be. It's utterly, you know, as much as we want to see indie films, and I do love them, this kind of big, absolutely ridiculous popcorn film should be seen on a screen bigger than your house. And that's where it should be seen. Uh, and it, it was, um, it was from memory, it was really the the dawning of the hope with regards yeah. to a post, post-COVID world. Yeah. So everybody, every, it was a proper event, even to yeah. watch it at home. Everybody I knew was watching it. Yeah. Um, and it was just everyone was just in all the all my WhatsApp groups and everyone we were all just chatting saying this is nonsense but my god I need this yeah, you know exactly uh, you know, yeah it was great fun 
exactly what you want. It's, it's pure fun. Um, under number four, maybe less fun, was Venom Let There Be Carnage, which made $501 million, which I can only assume is on the strength of the Tom Hardy likability scale. Um, the film itself, I thought, was better than the first Venom, which is obviously damning with, with faint praise. Um, but yeah, it made, <laughs> it, made, it, made a, it made a lot of money. Um, and it'll make more money because people seem to really like Tom Hardy and people seem to really like this incarnation of Venom, which I, I don't. don't really get. I don't really get the Venom character, but people seem to like it. So, and people who are not comic book fans seem to really get it. I think that's a big part of it. You know, people uh, like, I know Barry doesn't really like Venom, but his missus likes Tom Hardy, so she'll go and see Venom, you know? And I, I think that's a that. big, and that's a big pull of what Venom is right now. So 501 million. From that, that confuses became, me. Yeah. Don't get it. Uh, from that, take like a massive <coughs> jump um, up to number three, which is F9, The Fast Saga, which made $726 million. <laughs> which is, again, again low for the, the um, Fast and Furious movies, um, but still very sizable um, in terms of money made. Um, <laughs> again, see, honestly, like I'm I'm hitting this with the Fast films. See, when you bring in The Rock and stuff like The Rock, and like, they do have a lot of fun with it, and there is a complete ridiculousness to it um, this one had the level of ridiculousness to begin with to be what you want in the cinema when you've not been in the cinema for the last you know six months you kind of want big and stupid like this but even this seemed to like sort of bit jump the shark over what stupid is acceptable um, but <laughs> again a lot of people went out to see it so it's good for cinemas that people actually went and watched it um, and it felt like it got people back in um, for a little bit so that was good Number two on the worldwide box office chart is 007 No Time to Die, which made $774 million. So yeah. all the dads went and seen it. All them. the dads, yeah. All the dads went and seen it. Um, I saw it. I, I didn't dislike it. But I didn't love it either. I thought it was very much a Bond film. Um, I'm not the biggest Bond fan in the world. Particularly, Bond in this country is a very weird thing because people see, like, the British media and the British sort of public or sort of some are certainly in the British public seem to hold Bond in a much higher esteem than it really should be held. You know, it's oh, like yeah. it's like a sense of like this makes Britain Britain. You know, if if, oh, if you don't like Bond, yeah. you don't like Britain. And it's like I don't get it. It's no other country does that. No one's holding up, you know, like you know, Jurassic Park. You go, if you don't like Jurassic Park, you're not American. You know, it seems it's very odd that such you know national identity is tied to a film like this. It is a very curious phenomenon that I will never fully understand. And yeah, I am surrounded yeah. by it here. Um, even though we uh, quite vehemently say we are not English, yeah. there is still, it, it, it bleeds into our culture. Uh-huh. And there are so many of my friends who adore Bond and they hold him up to this kind of bastion of Britishness. Yeah. He's an awful person. Like, <laughs> he is a terrible, terrible bastard. He's a killer who just shags and uses women. Yes. I don't understand yes. it. I don't get it. Don't, yeah. I don't get it either. Some of the films can be fine in the same way like a Bond film can be fine. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, there's nothing, some of the films are enjoyable for what they are. It's just, I think it's, it's, a, poor, I think it's a poor man's Bond. Yeah, I think so now. I think definitely now. And that's, I think yeah. Bond's always been that. Bond's been a reflection of what's been hyped in cinema and been, you know, in cinema as opposed to being a trendsetter in cinema. You know, the most recent ones kind of copy a lot of John Wick and stuff and copy the Raid. Yeah. Um, yes. and even copy like the Bond filmed as well and you know a lot of that, that kind of stuff they don't they don't set the standard they sort of just try and catch up with the standard sometimes do it bigger but they don't make it they don't they don't put it in place first of all you know no no that that's that's an exceptional point that's exactly what Bond is so fuck it's him 
yeah. Like I said, I, the film wasn't bad. I, I just enjoyed big elements of the film. Uh, Anna de Armas in this film does steal the film and she's only in it for five minutes and literally just walks off of the film. It was almost a crime. Um, to the point where you're actually watching it going, let's not worry about Bond, let's just go and follow her for the rest of the film because she is an intrinsically more interesting character to, to go after. Right. Um, and number one on the list is only film made a billion this year, 1.05 billion. Despite the fact it's only been out for literally like two weeks, and that is Spider-Man No Way Home, which made a... Wow. Um, people love Spider-Man, man. You know, it was like massive pre-booking. Yeah. You know, the whole world went and seen that. It's opening weekend as well. Like, you couldn't go anywhere and, like online or anything without getting something spoiled for you. It was... People loved it. Yeah, it's great, man. And we'll talk about it more later, I'm sure. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's such an enduring character. It's It's really lovely for me in terms of reliving this love for this character that I've loved most of my life yeah. with yeah. my son who, yeah. who just adores him more than I've ever liked him. Yeah. So like, it's, it's great. And Tom Holland is a big part of that, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it's, it's they're very charming films. Um, I wouldn't say any one of them of the three that they've made with Tom Holland would rival the best Spider-Man films. No, no, um, me neither. No. But as, as a trilogy, it's, it's a well done trilogy i think the third one is probably the best of the three um at least get the best sort of like finale that's all you know what's the word that sort of it, it brings it home strong to the point where you remember it you know it's, it's it, it feels memorable um mm. but yeah so that is the box office for this year um i'm probably a bit overly negative on it there's not a single film in that list that i didn't that i hated maybe yeah. venom maybe venom <laughs> yeah maybe venom maybe yeah. venom there's some like not a biggest fan of like F9 or 007 or even Free Guy, but I could see the merit and I could enjoy them in the cinema. Everything else I had some fun with and I enjoyed it on some level. It's it's just a state of the nation, it's state of the nation, isn't it? You know, where we're at. Yeah, it's not, it's not us. I mean, it's very rarely does something, you know, push into the top, into the, the worldwide top 10. It's not one of these kind of films. It's very rarely you find no. an, indie, an indie smash coming in there. Um, gone all those days it is these tentpole films that are in. Okay, so the second part of this is going to be we are going to talk about the Three Beers Top 10. As always, we send out to everyone who's involved in Three Beers and some people who are listening um, put some entries for this year um, for the Top 10 of the, the, the films that everyone has seen. Um, very simple, you put your Top 10 list in, number one gets 10 points, number 10 gets one point, and from that way we, we seduce a list. Um, always interesting to see what people put forward. Um, it's always, in, I think it's always interesting that they, usually it's the same films that are on everyone's list a lot of the time, just in different orders of likability. But you know, everyone seems to have always uh, maybe a couple in that's not on anyone else's list. But the general feeling is there's always a few that the ones that rise to the top are always on like everyone's, and it's just a matter of where you kind of slot them in. And that's again very much the case. And from what I remember, this year's one, um, but there was I think 34 films um, given in, hey, which is quite, great. quite a decent. You know, amount of um of movies. You know, it's a nice wide breath. Some of them, you know, you can disagree with. Some of them, they much agree with. But yeah, everyone has their own opinion. So it's this is the top ten list as it came to the, the point scoring with three beers, listeners and um those involved in the pod. Number ten, mainly due to my missus um and one other person, is a film called In the Heights, which is um a Lin Manuel Miranda film. Um, well. He produces it. He's in it as well. He's the uh, the writer of the musical, um, set in uh, New York during a very hot summer, as a, as Puerto Ricans um, sort of sing and dance their way through the city as they try and find a lottery ticket that might be the, the way out of um, the sort of poverty they're in. Um, 
you're not a musical fan, so I don't think you're going to entirely dig it. Um, but it has mm. got a lot of joy to it. It's, it's very much in that Hamilton rhyming scheme as well. Um, and you, it's almost like watching, to me, it was like watching or listening to like sort of the B-sides before a great album. So if, if Hamilton's a great album that Lin-Manuel's done, you know, the, the one that will live forever, this is the B-side of like sort of the proof of purchase or the proof of concept. They, yes, they, they, okay. They do it. So you, there's, there's moments you go like, I get where, I get where the, the Hamilton came from from this. I get where wherever it comes from. This is very much the, you know, the, you know, your, your, your first album, your, your raw first album before you, you do the one that yeah. will define you. Um, yeah. But as a film, really good, really enjoyable. John M. Chu is director of it. He, um, He's a very interesting director. He has a lot of visual flair. And yeah, it's, it's genuinely, it was, came out of the height of summer as well in Britain. And it was just a fun summer film. You know, it, it, it struggled with people in the cinema again, unfortunately, because of the nice weather. But you come out feeling good. It, it, there was no real sadness to it. And it was a film that made you feel good about life. And yeah, we definitely need that, especially in this sort of day and age um, when things are a bit shit sometimes. And this, this was a really good, um, enjoyable film. So I, I really liked it. Um, Number nine on the list is one of the only two films that appeared on both our lists, and that is a film called Another Round, um, starring Mads Mikkelsen, um, about basically a bunch of four teachers who decide that, in all, is it sort of based on an old idea that the human body should have a certain amount of alcohol content in it, and that allows you to be sort of looser and freer and, and sort of just be more outgoing in life and just um, sort of embrace life better. Um, and these four teachers take it upon themselves to sort of um, investigate the theory of this and they do it from a very scientific point of view um, and, and from that the, the film sort of develops. I've talked a lot so what you, you really like this film obviously you put it on your list as well, what did you think, what did you like about this film? Yes dude I really enjoyed I really enjoyed this film I, I thought um, it had so much uh, realism yep. within it it felt like uh, akin to um, another film um, uh, that's on my list uh, Nomadland and that yep. it feels uh, at times that these aren't actors it feels like Mads Mikkelsen is surrounded by his real mates yep. and yep. this is actually happening there's a there's a hyper realism to it which mm. which really washes over you um, I think that's absolutely deliberate because that that gives you the buy-in you, you believe that these people are friends you relate to that uh, certainly I do I relate to that kind of middle-aged ennui um, that kind of sense of what am I doing with my life that kind mm. of I need a jolt I need yeah. something to spark yeah. me into life what have I been doing he's a bit further down the road than us maybe a decade or so but yeah. he's Mads Mikkelsen so we'll never look that beautiful but uh, yeah. he <laughs> but it's, he's a really relatable character and and they all are in their own different ways I think the supporting cast are fantastic I yeah. mean obviously Mikkelsen's getting all the plaudits and rightly so because it is it's a it's a Herculean performance from him mm. um, and so complex but the supporting cast are truly sensational and it's really funny. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's kind of everything that alcohol is, it is the good and the bad and the ugly of alcohol in every sense. Yeah, no, agreed. And I, it was a, I'd, I'd heard good things before I came to watch it, but I was blown away by how just how good it was and just, <coughs> generally how emotional it was. You know, you don't really expect it to oh, get. Yeah. And the final sort of 10 minutes of it is some of the most emotional cinema you've been out this year. It's I just, agree. it's, um, I mean, the whole film has its tinge of emotion throughout it, and you feel, and you feel for every character in it. And you can identify, you can almost identify with every character in it in slightly different yes. ways. They're not all perfectly rounded people that you, you can sort of pin yourself on one, but they all have moments, and you, and you do get where they're coming from. You understand who the character is. 
Um, yeah. So no, again, it won the best foreign feature, I think, at the Oscars, um, and thoroughly deserved to. And I think it was even up for best director um, in the actual directing category as well, and that was thoroughly deserved as well. But yeah, no, I thought it was a fantastic film, and again, one of those films. It's a real shame that it didn't get a big cinematic release. But I'm hoping yeah. it's one of those films that will be finding its audience on, you know, like Amazon or Netflix, whoever picks it up. It'll... I, yeah, I think it will It'll be one of those films, sorry to interrupt, but I agree with you. I think it'll be, um, I hope it gets that kind of second wind. And I think mm. it will. I think it'll be one of those films in 10 years time that kind of grows in this kind of cult classic status. Yeah. And that final scene uh, it's the cover image of the film. Yeah. It's so iconic. Like that to me just feels... I don't know, like a, almost like a taxi driver looking in the mirror moment. Yeah. It's so iconic that it, it's it's it it, it was very um, a very emotive end and very just a, a very almost like a Texas Chainsaw end. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, very much film. so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's just it really lingers in the memory that one, and it's so bittersweet, um, and it, it's so unfulfilled as well, and 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 just a, a, a truly fantastic film. Yeah, more people should see it. Yeah, it is. It is but life. Um, number eight is a <laughs> Netflix original, which I don't think we've had very many Netflix films on this list um, ever in the past. And that's a film called The Harder They Fall, which is a um, like some African American cowboy movie. that's on Netflix. Um, cool as fuck. Looks amazing. All the cast are far more handsome than we will ever be. Far cooler than we will ever be as well. And just again, it's a really. It, I think it deserves to be on the list mainly. But people did enjoy it, but. It's a first-time director as well, um, making it, and the, the sheer, you know, confidence in making this film is something quite amazing to behold. That, that someone had this many, you know, this much, you know, sort of confidence and self-belief in themselves that they could put this forward as a first movie. They did do a kind of proof of concept with like a sort of a, a, a mini version of it, like about thirty-five minutes long, to prove to investors they could do this. But even at that, it's so cool and so confident. It's very Tarantino-esque in its, in its sort of approach. And, and you see he has borrowed a lot from Tarantino, which is nothing wrong with that. Tarantino borrowed from everybody else, so you're allowed to borrow yeah. from him. But just, yeah, just a genuinely very well-done cowboy story, which you don't really get very often. Um, and just come, come at it from a kind of fresh angle, you know, with, you know, black cowboys. It's not something you see very much of. Um, despite the fact that one in three cowboys in the Old West was black. Um, so just to see that represented on screen was something really cool. And just just a generally one of those, like, a grown-up adult fun film, you know, that you, you feel like it's not trying to be a four-sector movie. It's not trying to get everyone involved in it. It's like it's made for adults to enjoy, and I, I really dug it. Nice, man. I need to get I need to get around to that. That's just one that I, I ran out of time in my um, inestimable uh, viewing uh, schedule. But I... I, I love Idris Elba, so yep. that alone has got me sold. So Yeah, awesome cast in it. Um, number seven is one that was on your list, not on mine, nearly made my list, and that's a film called The Sound of Metal, um, starring... Oh, I forget who stars in that film now. Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed, that's who it is, yeah. Um, you think, what, what do you like about this one? I, I Lots of things to like, and I know you were a fan. Um, I'm sure it was knocking on the door. Yep. For yourself, it just snuck onto mine. Uh, it's obviously the, uh, a tale of... Um, a metal drummer, a very simple story, really, yeah. a metal drummer who loses his hearing and therefore his entire identity and also his relationship. And his relationship is with the girl who's in his band. And that, as, as it unfolds, it determines that she is the one who has kind of got him um, to a sober state. So mm. he's that cliched arrested development rock star who's 40 
Um, he's been in rehab. He's been addicted to every um, narcotic under the sun. He still lives this very, you know, tour, tour, relentlessly <laughs> tour, these very small venues. And that's his life. He doesn't know any different. Yep. And so yep. his whole life is taken away from him. He go. He ends up going to this, um, I, I guess you could call it a sort of deaf commune. Um yeah and uh, a kind of rehabilitation center, but it becomes a, a very heartwarming film about discovery, about um, rehabilitation, about second chances, about peace, about mm-hmm. peace, I think, as much as anything. It's about the importance of peace, uh, and especially in this age of uh, continual, uh, you know, techno- technological fire that just uh, flows around us. Um, and it's it's a man really struggling to come to grips with something that is in, incredibly painful. And uh, more than anything, I think it's just wonderfully directed and won uh, and got wonderful. I think it won the Oscar, didn't it, for sound? And it, yeah, it, oh, amazing it, sound. It, it, and it's just, I've, I've, I'm sure you agree. I think we've discussed it, but it, I've never really heard a film like it. It's just yeah. in the ears. It's it is if you are transported to. Mm. To to the, the the guy suffering from this um, from this deafness and it, it's it really places you in that state of dislocation. I thought it was fantastic in places. Um, there were some wonderful scenes. I think it became a bit generic last twenty minutes. Bit Probably outstayed its welcome a little. Maybe a bit, bit cliche, but sort of goes down yeah, normal sort of yeah normal sort of like kind of film tropes in the last twenty minutes. Um, yeah, it could have ended when he, when he left the commune. It could have ended. Yeah, like that. That was such a beautiful scene. That was one of my favorite scenes of the year, with um, with the with the incredible uh, the the leader of the commune. Yeah, that 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 it could have ended there really because we weren't that <laughs> invested in his relationship with um, even though she's fantastic. Yeah, we weren't that invested in that relationship because she wasn't there long enough. I think the problem with um, her is she disappears sort of in the first yes. fifteen minutes of it. You could have exactly. had two. You could have basically had two films at the one time: her journey and his journey. And then you have the yes. sort of reconciliation at the end in some way, but because you base, I, I get why they did it, and, and I've heard the director talking about it. they had they did actually at one point have a script where it followed both characters, um, and then they basically trimmed it down for you know scope and um, and for budget reasons as well. But you could easily have had two films running at the one time, and you could have seen how her life goes, and how his life goes, and then what the meeting point is. Um, yes, because you you lose her for a good what hour. I want ten minutes of the film. Yeah, you you lose her for like seventy percent of the film, film, and then and then yeah, and then she goes, and then he goes back to to goes to France, and it turns out you go. I don't know about you, but I was going. She's French. What? And then I was like, how did he afford to go to France? He was in America at one point, and all of a sudden he's like, he's just struggling. He's got no money. Like, he, yeah, he had to sell his fucking. He sold his home, which was his van, right, just for the surgery that didn't work. So how uh-huh. could he get a plane ticket? Like, yeah, that, that irritated me. I'm sounding like I'm down in this film. I really no, no, no. love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's, I think it's, it's well worth watching. And Reese Ahmed just. He is he's impressed so much ever since I first saw him in Four Lions. He's just he can he can do anything. He's yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah. He seems a very primary thing in interviews, he's very focused, very switched on. He's sort of he's a, he's very he's an actor's actor. You know, he sort of oh, yeah. he doesn't take things lightly. He's very much in that kind of De Niro Pacino kind of way of like approaching it as a craft. He does not a lot of seems like there's not a lot of fun involved in what he's doing. No, no, no. I think yeah. he, he's he's very serious, isn't he? But yeah, even um, Venom one was terrible, but he was by far the best thing in it. Yeah, you know, I mean, so. he pops up in a he pops up in a Star Wars as well, and, and um, Rogue One, and he brings a lot Rogue to that. One. As well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he's always a guy who 
he, he takes the craft very seriously. And I, and I think he's obviously very driven right now and, and putting some really interesting work together. So he's done a, a few really interesting... done one called Encounter, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, yes. An interesting film that. as well. Um, so we're not some of the sound of metal. Number six is an animated film, which was out very recently, called Encanto, which is the amazingly the second Lin-Manuel Miranda um, <laughs> entry into this list. Um, oh, wow. He, he does the music for this film. Um, it's all set in, sort of, it's, um, set in Colombia, and it's um, uh, a family who are all very magical, apart from one girl who's not magical. She doesn't get any magic powers, and it's her journey to find out why she should not get powers. Is her role within the family still important? Even without her, her magical powers, um, and it's, it's 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 Disney. It's Disney doing Disney, but doing Disney well. Um, the kids will like it. It's very bright, very fun. It's um, I enjoyed it. The songs don't quite burst out like Moana style to me. You know, like Moana was singing for like days and days and days after. This doesn't Such a quite good soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, this doesn't quite have that same punch, but. I enjoyed it. It's not my favourite animated film of the year, but I, I thought it was a lot of fun, and I probably enjoyed it more than the other Disney one we saw this year. What was it? Looker? Yeah, probably enjoyed it more than Looker. And Looker was Pixar, I right. think. Um, um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It's it, it a really, it's a good, it's a good family film. There's, there's nothing in it to offend. Um, but I have just, a family with children who just don't want to watch animated films. It's very strange. <laughs> I'm the only one who watches them. You know, my my son just wants to watch. Venom, and I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> god damn it, no, yeah. not again, yeah. But no, Encanto was good, Encanto was fun. Um, maybe I think probably too saccharine for, for your young ones, but um, definitely, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It's a nice, it's a sweet film. Um, number five, a film that almost made my top 10. Actually, the reason why I'm probably not on it because I kind of forgot it came out this year. Um, and that is a film called Nomad Land. Um, hey. so yeah, what I, I mean, I dug it, I thought it was a fantastic film, wonderful, like, sort of character piece on. Probably the world's greatest actor, to be honest. Like, I think so. I think so. There's, yeah, there's not, not many. Maybe Denzel comes close to her, but yeah. there's not many better than her, to be honest. She is. She's like. A, um, she's a stunning actress. Frances McDormand, absolutely stunning actress. Nothing she does seems, in no. any way, you know, not thought out and planned, no. and she knows exactly what she's doing. Um, and I've yet to see her do a bad performance. Um, even in small roles, she always brings, you know. So, so much to them. Um, this film is basically her. She's a woman who's lost her job, um, lost her house, lost everything after her, her, her um, husband passed away. And so she takes the road in a sort of RV and just sort of moves from town to town, taking up jobs and sort of kind of seasonal work, working in the Amazon warehouse at one point and then going to sort of like fruit picking and all that kind of stuff. Just a very migratory existence across America. Um, that's becoming more and more common, um, which I think is the sort of the, the main takeaway from this. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it's, it's a really well done film because obviously it's mixing an actor, Francis McDormand, with real life people, um, and it's it's done in that very naturalistic, almost Ken Loachian style of you know the kind of kitchen sink drama to an extent, or like try of like you know realism, um, and it's kind of a film about nothing in many ways because like there's no real great big reveal in the movie. It's just essentially existence and. Yeah. The, the hope that maybe something would be better, but there's no promise of anything bigger and better. And essentially, you know what you do on Monday, you'll probably have to do again on Tuesday and you just have to try and get to Wednesday. And it's, in a way, it's kind of uplifting at times, the way the human spirit endures. In a way, it's also fucking insanely depressing um, for massive chunks of it. Um, I thought that, you know, this is sort of like the, the way society is, but um, I, as a film, I thought it was a really interesting watch. Um, not one I'm going to go back to anytime soon. I don't, I don't think I've got it's got much rewatch value for it, which maybe why I didn't put it in my top ten. It just didn't. 
it, it's a wonderful film, but I just I can't see myself going like let's sit down have a nice night and watch Nomadland. I just I can't see myself doing that. Um, but I thought it was an excellent film. Um, what do yeah. you think of it? No, I, I think you've you've summed it up beautifully. Actually, um, I, there is rewatch value for me, but I guess okay. that is just it's it's my kind of it's my fucking wheelhouse. It's yeah. it's a film about nothing and everything. You know, yeah. it's uh, it, it's it's the human uh, it's the human spirit, the human the condition uh, with and and with the uh, everything you know the big and the small. You know, it's grief and it's death, but it's also complete and utter mundanity. So it's yeah. it's that that perfect mix which makes it which just elevates it to that complete perfect um, summation of of what it is to be human. She's it's so well directed and so well paced because yeah. it doesn't reveal too much at all from the opening scene where um, she's she's lifting up a garage and uh, and she just huffs. A, a big pair of jeans and we don't know that her husband has died but we we suspect that that has happened it's yeah, it's, yeah. it speaks to the the power of Frances McDormand's face like yeah. she is just you've said she's the greatest living actor I think she absolutely is I think there's a there's there's a conversation to be had about who's the greatest of all time and mm. I think she's absolutely in the conversation. I thought that yeah. before Nomadland, to be honest. Um, it's not that much of a revelatory uh, observation. But my God, she could do everything. And you think about even, you look back at her career and you think about even her supporting roles, like almost famous. Like She's mm. just incredible. Um, and there are so many other roles where she just, she just embodies this wonderful realism it's a perfect role for her it feels like it was written for her yeah i don't think anyone else could do it i don't know anybody else who could pull it off no. because you really like her but she's abrasive and she's yeah. she's brusque and she's rude but she's free and there's yeah. a wonderful yeah. there's so many wonderful scenes there's a great scene where she goes back to her sisters and they they leave that till late mm. which is great because like who is this person what happened? And it, mm. you don't know until late on. So you're filling in the blanks. It's a classic case of brilliant show. Don't tell. Yeah. The whole film yeah. really is. Um, and uh, that scene with the sister is just so wonderful because she's flawed. Like she's neglected her own family in, in, in pursuit of her own free spirit. It's not like into the wild where, it, where it promotes the idea of, of freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, there's a real cost to it and it's very, yeah. it's laid yeah. bare. And it's she more, says, it made me more of like, it, rather than being like I said, a Captain Fantastic or a Into the World, it made me more of like, say, like a, a Blue Ruin. 100%. The isolation 100%. And, the, and the choices you make, it, it, not, no one benefits from it. You know, no. It's, no. you're only causing pain in many ways. You're, you're the, it, it's, always yeah. to the, it's always the detriment. There's no real advantage of this. No. And, and, and there's wider, as you alluded to, there's wider points to be made, isn't there? There's about about recessions and dying industry and and is this the modern america and economic you know um disruption and all these things that we're tethered to mm. um and there's there's some wonderful wonderful scenes throughout the film they're just so it's so beautifully paced um it's it's certainly not a film for everybody but it's it really isn't um no. but in terms of what i enjoy from from films or, or novels, it's it's really it's it's absolutely my kind of my my, my kind of uh, my kind of uh, stuff. But yeah, it, 
fantastic, just fantastic performance. And it just seems utterly, utterly insane that the director and writer of this went on to do Eternals. But then maybe that's just me. No, she done this but during Eternals. During? Really? She got, the, she got the Eternals job after The Rider, I think it was. Her, um, her, I think it was her, her second film. And essentially, just done a Spielberg while this film was in, while Eternals in like post and all that kind of stuff. She went and made Nomadland and just happened to win the Oscar for Nomadland in between wow. things. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't like, know that. That's crazy. Yeah, it, 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 she got the job for Eternals on the back of her earlier work, not on the back of this. This was almost like a happenstance that you got. Now Eternals got an Academy Award nominated director or Academy Award winning director um, wow. attached to it. It seems like a journalist film. That's how I would. Yeah. yeah. I would say that um, a big shout out to David Strathern, who's always great. He was just so good in it as well even though yeah. he wasn't in many scenes he was just he just he's got that same McDormand quality of just feeling yeah. entirely real I yeah. just want to hang out with him yeah you know but it was better in Godzilla yeah. versus Kong I'm just saying yeah. I forgot he was in Godzilla versus Kong that's what the man does he does Godzilla versus Kong and he does Nomadland that is a, that is a range that David Strathairn has well, even McDormand did Transformers, didn't she? So, you know. Is it Transformers she did or was it something else? Did she do Transformers? She did Dark of the Moon, I think, you know, or one of them. She did, didn't she? She's has, well, she, no, she's not married to um, Turo, is she? She's married to um, one of the Cones. One of the Cones, Joel. She has actually, she's avoided, she hasn't really done much of the, the big Ted. I think pole. it's only, I think it's only that and one of the, did she do a Madagascar? I think that's it, really. Possibly done one of those, yeah. Just to get, you know, but I'm trying to think. She's not really. You always have like the actors like that who have like one film that they sort of like that's the money that makes the money. I'm going to go with that. But she seems to have like kind of avoided that. Her her normal work seems to make money, like enough she's that she's okay. Really. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. got she might a Cobra as well, so they're they're um, going to make her cash as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. We should be good. She's in the Good Dinosaur. That was maybe a bit of money. Yeah, yeah. Transformers: Dark of the Moon. But then after that, no, there's not really much she's been in. It's all Eon Fox. She was in that. That didn't do any money, but it's, it's a big Was she? Yeah, she popped up in that for a minute. Um, but yeah, you're right. She's not. She never really has went for that sort of. I, lo- of I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And our, um, you know, our um, IMDb, you know, speaks to you know, is better than pretty much anyone else's around. So, yeah. Um, oh, she's in Dark Man. Dark Man. Dark Man's a big money spinner. Dark Man always makes money. That's 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 like it's like put money in a banana stand, but. Darkman always makes money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, number four on the list, we won't talk about it too much, we did discuss it earlier on, and that's June. Um, like I said, looks amazing, looks stunning. Story-wise, feels like half a film, which it kind of was half a film. Um, glad it's getting a sequel because it's nice to know that the film will conclude in some way. But definitely a, a, a well-marketed film in the sense that it never mentioned at any point it was part one until you went into the fucking cinema. And then it tells you it's part one, which I thought was a very sneaky thing to do. Did it? Right? So, I didn't actually know that, right? Yeah. So when you sit down and you're sitting watching it and the, the title screen comes up and it says June and then it fades Ooh. out the June and then part one, you're like, oh, you motherfuckers. Ah, um, shit, how sorry. Yeah. So it's kind of like, imagine like Lord of the Rings not known as part of a trilogy. You'd be pissed off when it ends, wouldn't you? You'd be like, what the fuck? You'd be <laughs> fucking livid. <laughs> <laughs> I've sat here for three hours and you're still, you've been done nothing. That's kind of this film felt a bit like, you know. Fuck <laughs> Trick me, bastards. Anyway, so June is number four. I think it's well worth watching. I don't know how much rewatch value it's got on the small screen because it is a film that should be seen on a massive scale. Um, yeah. 100% benefits from the massive scaleness. And that is what kind of 
it didn't make my top 10 list, but that's what made me enjoy it more. Just it felt like cinema in the same way, like Lawrence of the Arabia cinema, it felt like that, you know, it just it washes over you and it's it's massive. Yeah. Um, so that was number four. Number three um, is a film called West Side Story. Um, Spielberg back doing what Spielberg does, um, but better than uh, anyone else can ever do it. Um, and we're discussing this in the last pod, a couple of pods ago. Actually, going like, and I, may, I remember thinking of like, how long can Spielberg remain relevant? You know, a guy he is touching nearly eighty. You know, has, has he still got it? You know, has he still has he still got relevance in today's cinematic landscape? And how long can he remain relevant? And the, I just came to the conclusion, as long as the guy can hold a camera, he will remain relevant in this cinematic world. He is still the absolute king of everything that cinema is, to be honest. Particularly the last sort of like 50 years or 60 years. Um, he is kind of, kind of untouchable in many ways. You know, there's, there's really no one come... In terms of cinema for the big screen and for the masses and for the blockbuster, he is pretty much untouchable. There's, there's no one who can really get anywhere near him. In, in no. my opinion, anyway. No, no, no. And it's an opinion. You know this, but the listeners might not. Um, they might not have listened to the exceptional three beers in a movie Spielberg special that we did. <laughs> but they should uh, dig that out in the archives. No, uh, he he's the Dylan of film. It, it, Dylan might be shit live, but he's still producing stuff that is incredible. Yeah. You just have to look past the fact his voice is gone. That's a separate point. But the music is still unbelievable. The lyrics are incredible. Yeah. And But Spielberg is still, he's doing new things. Like he's, mm. he's not standing still. This is his first musical. And it's it's one of the defining musicals of, of musicals. So to even attempt it, you have to be a Spielberg to go in. You can't be, who else is getting that gig? Even Lin-Manuel Miranda probably isn't getting that gig. No. You know, you have to be, serious serious clout serious heft and serious reputational um standpoint to get it but he there's there's no surprise with spielberg in terms of everything he does is great like there really isn't and how long can he be relevant like you say as long as he can still hold a camera not even hold a camera as long as he can still tell you where to be and detail what needs to happen then he's just got a mind that works so, so quickly. Like you've yeah. got one of those insane genius brains and it, he, it, it, it's it's going to be, he'll die with a camera in his hand or he'll die yeah. behind, yeah. behind, you know, he's he's the greatest. He really does stand alone because he, he straddles the line between between auteur, between, between the thing he fucking invented, which is blockbuster cinema and and just between cinema as a whole he has such a reverence for cinema mm. as well yeah. and that it's that playfulness that keeps him young as yeah. well yeah. And, and he feeds off the energy of of other filmmakers he sees that as a direct challenge that's something yeah. I, I i get the impression from him and he nobody like nobody even comes close and i'm sure everybody across the whole spectrum of, of film would agree and i i'm desperate to see this film because i have no doubt even as a non-musical fan um that it would absolutely be in my top 10 my dad who is not a musical fan went and he said it was incredible west side story is his favorite it's his favorite musical he doesn't like musicals much but he's a bit like me i I like two or three um i like moulin rouge and i like la la land and i Mm. grew up with west side story because my fucking sister had it on all the time so i know all the songs Mm. And uh, my dad was a bit wary, but he went along and he just said, oh, my God. He said, I think they've made it better. Which oh, no, they have. What... It's better than original. Yeah. It's, it's, it is better than original. I think, I think it works. Yeah. 
And he said they were still quite, I mean, I've interpreted his words, but they've still been quite deferential and they've been respectful. They haven't. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so it still has the intrinsic heart of the original. So I'm excited to see it, man. But yeah, I'm sure it looked spectacular, right? Oh, it's all this thing as well. Like, you know, Spielberg does things with the camera that if any other director was to do it with the camera, it would be the talking point of like everything about the film being made, you know, and it'd be sort of like the main selling point of the film, or it'd be something that a, a, a director hangs his hat on. Like, I remember that time I've done like this eight minute, 10 minute take through a, a crowded gym where people are dancing in the background and going into like dialogue and so on, and, and you didn't notice it. He does yeah. it and it doesn't in such a casual way that it's almost, you, you don't notice it until you take you take a step back and breathe and go, holy shit, he just did that and didn't even make any <laughs> bring attention to it. And there's something amazing, as much as you can like, for example, watching a football player who you see do a trick and you go, oh my God, he put all his effort into doing that trick and it was amazing. You see you guys see a guy do the trick and he's not even trying to do it. It just does, it just comes naturally to him. That's yeah. even more yeah. beautiful to watch. You go like, that's just absolutely God given talent. It's not. It's not having to. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Spielberg does effortless. work on it, and he has to obviously prepare for it. But he, does, he knows what he's doing with it, and the fact he's not flashy with it to me is even more impressive. That he just does it, and oh, it's just yeah. like this is this is what I can do, and that well, to me is just amazing. That that's that's possibly. I mean, in the uh, the rich pantheon of all his attributes, there's a, a strong. Um, argument to be made that his greatest quality is making the breathtaking seem effortless. Yeah, the fact that people think it can be done by anyone, but it really can. And really, can't really can't. It yeah. really can't. It really can't. Yeah, and I think you oh, could exactly, like this year you did a film called Free Guy that came out, which is pretty much the same as Ready Player One, and they're nowhere comparable in terms of like quality, in terms of enjoyment, because of one had a different director behind the camera who knew exactly how to show that material off and knew how to you know, to present it, you know, and, and that's what, to me, it does. Perfect comparison. Yeah, yeah, it makes the same film, but just makes it better. You know, Jurassic Park could be a B movie if it wasn't for Spielberg. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He elevates everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was number three, and I it was one of my films of the year as well. Uh, number two, <coughs> made it on a lot of people's lists, which was Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, we won't go too spoilery with it, because we don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Um I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun film. You know, we, we did sort of, it was a Spider-Man film in many ways. Um, it's, again, it's not my favourite trilogy of Spider-Man film, and it's not my favourite Spider-Man film by any stretch. But it, it was it was enjoyable, and I get why people liked it. It had a lot of stuff going for it that people enjoyed, but to me, it was one of the films that I can accept as a Spider-Man film. It's completely passable. There's a lot of good stuff in it, but it made me yearn for two other Spider-Man films that I would much rather watch, um, to be honest, and that's not to elevate to you know to denigrate to elevate, but it just it just it felt to me like it was a, a good film, but it had potential to be a great film, but it just didn't quite go far enough with it a little bit. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I'm I'm conflicted with it. It snuck onto my list um, because it, I guess because I, I I don't frequent the cinema that much. Yeah, and I went with yeah. my boy and just seeing his excitement. Yeah, at the bit without giving anything away, but. Fucking hell, if you don't know what happened, yeah. Come on. But, you know, event, <laughs> like, the yeah. event almost like it's almost like a, a three star film, but a five star event. I think that's 100%. the best way to put it. Yeah. And, and that, that elevates. And with, I wonder how much it will feel watching it at home with just by yourself at some point. Will it have any, will it have any sort of anywhere near the enjoyment of that I, moment I, in the cinema? I, I don't think so. I, I, I truly don't. I think the first hour is absolute preamble to inevitability. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's the thinnest of thin premises. Yep. Um, I think characters make decisions they wouldn't make. Yes. I, I, I think there are crazy plot holes. I think I'm absolutely with Strange. I don't like him, but I'm with him in his frustration. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> um, May, very annoying. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff. I'm just like, really? Yeah. <laughs> First hour. Um, and, you know, I fucking, I, I love the Marvel films, man. So I'm really rooting for it. But I'm, yeah. And I love Holland. There's so much charisma on screen that you can forget that the writing isn't that great. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, a, it's like a, I think I said this to you, it's like a, a really good joke where the pun or punchline has been wor- worked out initially and then you're working backwards. Yeah. So uh, at and, times... and there are some really wonderful moments in it. But oh, yeah. as a, as a, a film, film of moments. Yeah. Yeah, the film of moments as opposed to an actual film. There's, there's no real cohesive story that actually works properly. I don't... I don't think so, no. But no. there's little moments in it you go, it was almost worth it for those snapshot moments when you get like five minutes or something, you go, that's really, that's kind of what I wanted to totally. see. Which um, is why it made my, which is why it made my 10, even though I was heavily critical of it. Because yeah. in theory, if I was, if I was fucking writing a review of this film, I'd probably say logically it's a three-star film. Mm. But in terms of those moments, I haven't had that many of them in a cinema. So no. uh, it, it, make, it elevates it. And it actually made me, it makes it's more a, a celebration of the wonder of cinema and how it can it can you know, it's such a collective experience as well yeah. Like yeah. people applauded in my cinema in the yeah. other man yeah. so um yeah th- those moments were really cool and holland's just great he's really good it's just there's there's so much warmth to him i, yep. I don't know what he'll do after this i i, I I think he could do with having like a five, six year break and then trying to reinvent himself. But he's uh, done some, he done like that film Cherry. I don't know if you saw that on Amazon. Um, was, was that was, one of the, um, one Russell of the Brothers. from, uh, yeah, yeah, one, yeah one the Brothers, and um, they've done that film. He's going to pop up in the Uncharted movie next as well, I think. The, um, oh, the video game, video okay. game, yeah, him and Marky Mark, um, are, are doing that. So I think he is taking, hopefully, taking a little bit of a break from it, but he is now like 25, I think. So he said he doesn't want to be doing much Spider Man when he's 30. So, yeah, he can, unless he does a kind of, you know, hands all the reins at some point, you know, does the actual Spider Man story where Spider Man becomes a teacher and, you know, sort of, you know, actually Jesus. ages. I um, like to think um, that he won't. Well, well uh, can I discuss the ending without going into detail? Yes, by the way. Yeah. I, what I did kind of like about it is someone who, you know, um, revels in the darkness. It was, Fucking hell, that was a morose end, man, to a Spider-Man film. That was a very, very sad ending. I it thought. was, wasn't it? There was a certain real kind Ooh. of like, uh, you, you felt like they were going to have an extra PS moment on it to try and like sort of lighten it, but it's yeah. not. It's, I, yeah, it's I thought very, it was very much a case of, one of the few times it was a case of actions have consequences. There yeah. was a reality, which I liked. I, I, I was also yearning for it not to happen, but at the same time, I get, I, I thought that was that was one of the few times it was grounded in some kind of realism. Yeah, the, the only problem with that is because they're bringing in the whole multiverse thing that the actions that have consequences thing doesn't might not hold entirely true, you know, because all actions can now be reversed or changed. That's sort of like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, that's that's sort of a worry about it. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fine film. It's it's definitely it's a cinema film. It's it's an event movie. It's something like you said the, the crowd got behind it. There's a, a tangible excitement in an audience, and you're watching it, um, and that's what cinema should be. It should be about that yeah. shared experience. It's the difference between watching a football game in your house by yourself and watching 100%. it in a full crowd. You know, it's, it's he's the yeah, totally, totally. It's yeah. the dying embers as well of the 
the golden era of the Marvel franchise. I think so. They need to spark it a little bit. I feel like the last few have been a little bit underwhelming. There is sort of a... There I just is think they've of, lost. They've lost the star quality, man. I think they'd they have, be better to have a break. I just, I, do, I don't, I don't see the, I don't see the benefit in the conveyor belt. I get what they're trying to do in terms of capitalizing, but it feels like everyone's a bit. Well, there's no Downey, you know. There's no, you know. It's just there's no Chris Evans. Everything's yeah. a bit meh. I got a feeling know? Guardians might have a bit more punch because it's got um, Hemsworth. He's going to be back in that, so I'm feeling that might that have a bit more. Yes. That is exciting, yeah. Yeah, that so I feel exciting. that might have a, a bit more kit. But yeah, I'm with you. I think it, it's... The, the, the love we have for Iron Man isn't quite there for Doctor Strange, and they clearly try to position Doctor Strange as a new Iron Man, the sort of, the sort of focal Which point. Which is insane. Like, he's just... He's a bumbling... I mean, why didn't they just... I know he isn't, but just make him English, because Cumberbatch is the most English of English characters. He's so awkward. Yeah. You can't show him love that he needs. Yeah. You know, he's just... Because, you know why? Because they didn't get Matthew Modine to play the goddamn role. She just got Matthew Modine and let him do it. That's, that's oh, what we all wanted. Have opened, we all I, shouldn't have opened, I shouldn't have opened this portal. <laughs> Justice for Modine. Um, so... <laughs> That was number two. Number one film this year was a Netflix film, and I'm very happy to see it's number one. And it's a film I saw very early on in the year, and it's remained my number one ever since. And that film is The Mitchells versus the Machines. Oh, Um, that's ace! Yeah, I didn't know it was that universally loved. That's great. It was, yeah. Everyone who's seen it seems to really adore this film. And it's a it's a film based about a family who go on a road trip. Um, it's sort of a, um, a father and daughter who have grown apart all the time. She's going to college. They take a road trip with the, the sort of crazy family. On the way there, the robot. Uprising begins and they're having to battle that um, and save humanity and also hopefully get her to college at the same time. Um, I, I just, I, this film had, this film came from fucking nowhere and I think that's what really amazed me because I think Sony had it at first um, and you can see maybe a wee bit of the Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse in that, um, but they didn't seem to know what to do with it so they sold it to Netflix, I think. Um, and then oh, Netflix wow. just sort of dumped it on Netflix one like sort of Friday night essentially, and just sort of went there, it's there, watch it. And I think more people just thought it was just, you know, basic Netflix fodder. Um, and then you watch it and you go, this is genuinely, like, fantastic. Like, it, it's a wonderfully warm, sweet film with some of the most outrageously stupid and moments you can't really describe, like, in a film this year. You can go, that that shouldn't be allowed to be put on a kid's film, and it, it works so well. And it comes away, a film you come away with feeling, a genuine feeling of, like, kind of joy and happiness. And it made you feel good. And I, when as soon as I watched it, I, I loved it. I've watched it again since, and it holds up immensely well. Um, maybe it's the fact it's a girl who and it loves cinema, and maybe that's what made me feel even more attached to it. The same way, like I love Ratatouille for the, the whole kitchen stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just dug. I thought it was just a, a really wonderful family film, a wonderful, um, just kind of animated film that has real joy to it, and it, and it, and also inventiveness to it. There was nothing samey or you know, repeating the same things as films past. It felt very much of its own thing and didn't try and emulate anyone. It, just, it was very, it just its own, its own movie. And I just, I loved it from start to finish. I'm so excited that this is number one because I yeah. thought I really, I really over-egged it putting in at three. I, I thought, oh, am I, I don't, I knew you liked it a lot, but I didn't, I didn't expect it to be this high, but I'm really happy about that because yeah. it's, because I came away going, it gave me the same feeling that, when you forget it's an animated film, it's that Pixar, like peak Pixar, where you yeah. come away going, this is a masterpiece. Yeah. Like, this is, this makes me feel all the gamut of human emotion in, in an hour and a half. This yeah. is, 
it's so and you use the word that inventive that was the thing that made it stand apart for me it was oh. not generic in any way because no. you could see the path where that film was going and when to be honest i was a bit like oh the robotic uprising when that happened I was like, oh, this is just going to be generic now. I was like, absolutely not. It feels like Edgar Wright just got behind the camera at that that's, stage. Oh. That's what I thought as well. It felt very Edgar Wright at times. It's sort of like, it's just sort of just like, you don't really, it's kind of crazy. And you like, oh shit, this is just, it's going to completely random directions, but all, always streamlined towards an end, which you knew at the end it had to come. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, never, it never deviated the way you go, where's it? Why is this deviation makes no sense? Every deviation made sense within the, the overall plot of the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything was was coordinated everything was done for a reason the characters were were fully formed and they were flawed and we empathized with all of them and i think i said to you as i was watching it um i i think this is about autism in a weird yeah. way it's about many things and well, i young boy and it must be it seems very autistic yeah the um the I, dinosaur I think she is i think i think the dad is potentially yeah. too i don't know but um and I, I say that as someone, I literally hadn't read anything about this film. I knew nothing about it when I went into it, apart from you said, you should give this a go. Uh, yeah. You downplaying it, trying not to influence my decisions with the top 10. And uh, But I remember you saying at the time, it's a really good film. Mm. Um, and I came away going, this is amazing. Like, yeah. And I, I just thought, and you know, uh, my youngest boy has autism and I, maybe I see things through that prison. But... Um, that was the thing for me. It was even if you strip away the autism thing, it was really nice because it was celebrating difference and yeah. being and being odd and being yeah. a bit curious, but also love and the complications of love and and how we we rally against that and we we butt heads with the people we love most and they don't understand us and that we really want them to understand us because that would give us some kind of validation and um but also how ultimately love always wins out it really yeah. it does it, and, and also just in a really funny really creative absolutely batshit way honestly and the um we need to talk about the furbies the furbies it's it it's a moment that it's so left field and it's so bizarre. I just remember, <laughs> I just remember what, and it's again the Furbies are funny. It's the the, the subtitle dialogue of what the Furbies are saying is like they say some shit in a kids' film. You go, they can't say that in a kids' film. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, and it's just it it comes from absolute left field. It doesn't make any. It makes total sense, but it just it's utterly ridiculous. And it, it had me honestly. It's a shame I saw it in a Netflix film at home because I think if you saw it in a busy cinema, I think the cinema would have been an absolute uproar watching it. Like it would generally have been absolutely uh, like uh, dying with I think, Oh, I think so too. It's such a it's such a great moment because I'm laughing even talking about it because I, it was it was the incongruous, unexpected nature of it, and it threw these little Easter eggs of surprise at you in the way that Edgar Wright is so good at that yeah. really just brought to mind him as we've said but yeah. Lisa knew I was watching I said I'm gonna go and watch a kids film called Mitchell's versus Machines I'm upstairs and she heard me howling she said did you change are you watching a different <laughs> film I was like no you need to watch this film there's a Furby scene she said what <laughs> it's, it honestly is the funniest thing I've seen all year hands yeah. down that scene is fucking hilarious the screenwriters Whoever they are, you are geniuses among mortals. Yeah. Um, everything about, like I said, even though, I think it's, it's getting more serious to the point about not just the Furbies, but I like the I like the, the concept of understanding that 
there's no one comes out at the end of it saying I was right and Maui was right and no, that's no. where it should be. You know, every character begins to understand each other, which I thought was really that's sweet. That's it. That's it. That's you that's know. the biggest point, isn't it? It's miscommunication and, and they're all just trying to understand one another, which I that's why I thought it was about autism in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it gave me the same feelings that something like Paddington gives me, where it's sort of just yes. it's generally just an it's a well done, nice, well made film that because yes. it's so well done, it's such comes such a place of love and enjoy that you can't help but feel that on screen as well and no yeah totally. I, I absolutely i loved it from start to finish and uh, uh, props for um, olivia coleman as well she was yes great. <laughs> <laughs> she's having really, fun yeah again and that's she was having fun she played that again somewhere else recently she played like a, a voice on a, an iphone at one point recently as well oh really and now she's been typecast as an iphone voice that that's a new that's a new role well, so, yeah. the greatest actors of our generation she's now yeah. the iPhone <laughs> she's voice an iphone there. voice so that's it. This year's winner of three beers in the movie, top 10, was Mitchell's versus Machines, which I'm very pleased at. I'm, I'm happy that it joins other films of uh, of note um, in our top 10, in our um, winner of the year. So, yeah, Mitchell versus Machines is our number one. We will move on now to our final part of our top 10s, which is basically, our, this is this is a very much, I mean, this whole thing is self-indulgent. This is, this is a, probably the most self-indulgent part of the, the full um, <coughs> exercise. And we'll kind of, well, Meander through our own personal top tens. We won't linger on the films that um, we've talked about at length in the past that appeared on both you know, on the on the top ten list and also on the um, worldwide top ten list. So we'll just sort of pick them um, as we go through them. So number ten on your list was Spider Man No Way Home. So a, a, a nice choice. So it, it just snuck on, like you said. Um, you weren't willing to give it any sort of major points, but obviously the the, the emotion of it got it at least one point on the list. And oddly. Man number 10 is exactly the same. It's not Spider-Man, but it's Ghostbusters Afterlife for exactly the same reason. The film itself yeah, nice. is just, it's its flawed beyond, it's got many, many flaws. It's skews a little bit too young for me. And when, um, when I was watching it, it was very Stranger things in as opposed to, you know, the Ghostbusters, which are really dry, the, the driest of dry wit throughout it. And middle-aged. Um, it's middle-aged. Middle-aged, yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, they're, all, they're all, you know, out in, in uh, you know, lecturers in university and stuff like that, you know, they're not young guys in it and they're all, you know... They're jaded and cynical. Yeah. very much grizzled and, and just, and kind of, I very quickly grow tired of this life. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this film, again, for much the same reason as Spider-Man, the, 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 um, just the general ambience of watching the film in the cinema, seeing some stuff on screen, like, it, it's, it pulled on heartstrings and it knew exactly what it was pulling on. And, in a way, you want to be cynical and go, motherfuckers, you know exactly what you're doing. It's not going to work on me. And then they do it and you go, ah, you, you bastards. It, it absolutely 100%, you know, works on me. When you hear Ecto-1's siren go, you know, you have that instant, you know, like butterflies go. When you hear the proton pack getting fired up, when you when you see certain actors in certain outfits talking as certain characters, you... <laughs> you <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I'm... I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm guessing where you're going. Yeah, yes. you, you, you get the same feels, and, the, and, and as, as much as I, I wanted to be, they go like, oh, that they're no, they're just being cynical, playing the fleazy buck. Um, it, it did get me, and there's some, and there's a genuine, the, the, the ending. I'm not going to ruin the ending for you. I had issues with the ending in terms of what they did, but again, I understand the emotional impact of it, and it did make me roll a tear. I, I still have, let's call it moral issues with what they did. Um, so you'd have to watch it before you can um, comment on well, it. I guess you could have moral issues with the existence of the film. 
Really? Yeah, you can, but there's there's some there's something very specific to do in the ending of the film. I'm going, I don't know if that's okay to do. Um, but it works wow, in the film. I'm even more intrigued now. Yeah, it works, <laughs> it works within the film and it is it, it's a nice moment. And in the moment when watching it, I was all behind it and I felt really touched by it. It was more in retrospect thinking, going, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel okay about what they did there. It, it, it felt a little bit <laughs> wrong to me. Oh my God, I've never been more intrigued about <laughs> my pop culture past. Is yeah. it a, a Stay Puft Marshmallow gangbang? No, it's not. Uh, that, that, oh, that, I'm, that I'm 100% behind and have no moral ambiguity towards. I'm, I'm well, you've always said that. that. I've always said that, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Ghostbusters Afterlife made it number 10 for me. Uh, okay. Number nine on your list was Sound of Metal, which we've discussed at a great length. Number nine mm-hmm. for myself, also a musical one, oddly, um, is a one called Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a Netflix release directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, so we can complete the Miranda hat trick. Um, and it's all about the writer of Rent, um, him sort of basically in New York, as a struggling writer, trying to remain true to his morals of not writing shit for easy money and trying to get his ultimate project off the ground. Um, and it's quite a tragic story. It's not a spoiler. It's in the first minutes of the film. He dies, like, um, on the opening night of Rent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, it's unbelievable. I, yeah. I knew that. Yeah, crazy. Um, yeah. So, and it's basically, it's part, it's almost like sort of pseudo-documentary, but also you get, it's it's also um, Andrew Garfield playing him in the film. And it's a musical. And it, it's it's just, it's, again, really lovely. It's really well done. Andrew Garfield 100% goes for it in a big, big way that I think... Nice. I didn't really know Garfield had that level in him. Um, it's in the opening moments, it's quite upsetting. Not upsetting, but it's, it's quite jarring. You're kind of like, holy shit. Like it's it's what is that moment of music where you go either go with it or you don't go with it, I think. Um, and you can accept the the world in which they live or, or the or the reality in which this film is set. You can either accept it or not. If you don't accept it, you're not gonna like the film. If you accept it, you're you're totally okay with it. Because it is literally people busting into song for no reason, you know, that that kind of thing. Um, and I know some people don't like musicals that do that, they like a more kind of structured musical. Um, but I I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Me and Jill both liked it. We both laughed a lot through it, we both found it really touching, and the songs actually really do work. Um, and yeah, I dug it, it's on Netflix, it's there for free essentially. So, you know, go and watch it. It's, I, it's, it's a really I, good watch. I will get on it. I will get yeah. on it because it, it will be one I watch mainly because I just adore Garfield. And yeah. one of my recommendations, which isn't in film, is just everybody watch the Andrew Garfield interview with Stephen Colbert discussing yeah. this film because it's just, it's a beautiful um, and emotional uh, disintegration of, of, of the film, but uh, also humanity and and grief he just he's just such a great person and it just really comes across and everything you know that classic adage where they say acting isn't really acting it's just playing a a, a broader version of yourself yeah um which is why kevin spacey played such a psychopath so well <laughs> uh, Gar- garfield plays lovely and human and relatable perfectly and he is all of those things yes yeah he has he has but he, he can do a bit of darkness as well there's a few films i'll, I'll send them on to you later on where he plays in um, 199 houses when he plays like people who oh, his houses 99 houses is fantastic yeah a wonderful yeah. film yeah um he has got a bit of a soul in that film but he's still morally very questionable in that film um, he is yeah but it's a very good film. Anyway, so that was Tick, Tick, Boom. I really enjoyed Tick, Tick, Boom. Number eight on your list. We've not talked about it yet. And it's only not on my list because I actually forgot it was out in 2021 in this country. I yeah, I'm, I'm surprised this isn't on your list, man. I'm very surprised. I did read this one. I think it's just because I, I forgot because I saw it early um, in an early screen, I think, or an early, um, I think it was on HBO or something. I might have get it earlier. That was Palm Springs, 
which is a fucked up time travel movie starring Andy, Andy Samberg and is it Melina Tomano? I can't remember the name exactly. What's her? What her name is? Can't uh, we can't remember because we're misogynists. But we are, we... and also, she, she, I think she. Got, I remember it's an Italian sounding name. That's sort of my main takeaway from it. Was it yeah, Milana spicy meatball. There, that was it. That's, which is basically every bit line of dialogue that Lady Gaga says in um, uh, House of Gucci. <laughs> I'm surprised House of Gucci was at Yona Bourne, actually. That's I enjoyed House of Gucci surprised. in many ways, but um, uh, Kristen Melotti, that's her name, sorry. Kristen Melotti, that's... that's we, we, we were close. We were close. We, we, um, and also J.K. Simmons, um, it, it pops up. Oh, my God, J.K. Simmons. What yeah. a role. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's a time travel film. It's people talk stuff in a time loop. It's very Groundhog Daying, but it's even more sort of depressing than Groundhog Day in many ways, um, as these two people sort of essentially try and battle their way out of, or one of them tries to get their way out of the, the time loop, but the other one seems quite sadly content with his life within the time loop. Um, why do you like this film? I think it's a film about depression. Uh, no, 100%. I think the idea is he's been stuck in that loop for at least something like it's like, fuck, like something like 50,000 days or something. That's why yeah. that's why he's like, it's, I think that was a groundhog day at first. It was like the idea of groundhog, day, even stuck in the groundhog loop. You get stuck in it for something like 10,000 cycles. That's yeah. how you can learn how to do everything so so well. So it's that yeah. level of like depression, you know, the sadness of it. It's not fun anymore. No, it's the numb inevitability of depression. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's perfectly pitched. And it's it's so um, it, it flips where you don't expect it to flip. Yep. And yep. Uh, you're just watching, going, "Oh yeah, I remember Groundhog Day. What yeah. a great yeah. film! I'm gonna go and watch Groundhog Day." And it's like, "Oh holy fuck, this is darker than I expected it to go." Uh, and I didn't know Andy Samberg had this in him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but no, I just I just think there's so much to love about this film. It is a beautiful mad bubbling bubbling cauldron of comedy and sorrow and uh, existential crisis and mostly it's mainly about for me it's about depression and hope yeah and how hope can can save or destroy and Mm. it really is about that and and sandberg is he's perfect actually and it's it's really good to see that he isn't always the happy-go-lucky chappy he is someone who can he was always naturally charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Murray esque, actually. He has actually very so, yeah. So doer. And uh but also you just you just want to follow him on screen. JK Simmons almost steals it though, because he yeah. is just completely <laughs> deranged. Um uh, but also, much like Groundhog Day, so much poignancy, so yeah. much heart. And it's just full of surprises. Whereas when you're going into it, you expect this film to have no surprises whatsoever. Yep. Um, and I knew nothing about this film. All I knew about it was that the de- the release date was delayed and Andy Samberg was in it. That's literally all I knew. And yeah. as soon as Andy Samberg is anything, I'm, I've been such a big fan since Hot Rod yep. that I, I will watch anything he's in. Um, and he doesn't, he, he genuinely doesn't tend to do bad films. Um the only really? one I can remember him being <coughs> or a bad film that one I didn't enjoy was that one about the boy about my boy or something with um, Andy without with uh, Adam Sa- Adam Sandler. 
Yes, um, that was not good. Yes, what was that? That was not good at all. And he was like about but a boy. He was in a supporting about... role, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's my boy. That's what it's called. That's my boy. That's my um, boy. Oh my it god. Felt, I get why he did that one. It felt like that was a sort of like he'd done the sort of almost indie comedy stuff with Hot Rod and things like that. And he felt he needed to have a breakout one with the biggest comedy actor going. So it felt the natural move to do, to do yes. that film, which you told it from a completely, you know, career driven point of view, it makes a hundred percent sense, you know, that you would do you would do that film. But he seems to be better when he does his own thing, when he's not sort of tied to him. Because he can, he can be funny around other funny people. It's not like he has to be the funniest person on screen. You know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine no. is, is proof that... Oh, he can, no, he's deferential. He, no, he's very, he's a very he's a very open performer. He will let other people be funny. He's, he actually, he's he's one of them. He will serve up, you know, open goals for you. you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's very happy to let other people be funny around him, which is sort totally. of... Totally. Some people yeah, are yeah. you know, I, I don't think Adam Sandler's like that. He doesn't like people being funny around him. Oh, he's, God, no. You know, <laughs> um, even Bill Murray in his heyday, Bill Murray wasn't quite that guy either. He very much had to be the funny guy on camera. And certain films, he's forced to sort of... Um, until Bill I'll, surrendered his ego, you know, until yeah. Bill started becoming withered and dead-looking, yeah. Bill was very much, it's all about me. And, and we I think that's why that, him, but, and, yeah. him and Ramis fell out. You know, him and Ramis had a big fall out at one point. Um, yes. Well, they, like they so. never reconciled, did they, before Ramis' death? I think yeah. they did yeah. slightly. I think, I think there was some reconciliation before, was the, there? before, okay. the, before yeah. he passed away, but not maybe not as much. I mean, one of the things, from what I remember, I, uh, I think it was Jason Reitman saying what it's like, they did have a moment and they sort of reconciled, but it felt like a moment like we've been so silly for letting 25 years pass um, without, you know, doing this, that kind of thing. You know, it felt it, it almost, by reconciling, it really made them realise both how stupid they were a little bit, you know, yeah. and, and kind of... So, yeah, it's just kind of sad more than anything else, which I think speaks to the themes of Ghostbusters, actually. The new Ghostbusters is sort of very much... Um, in, in, in that in that vein, but no, Adam Sandberg, um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, he has done some of the best films I've ever seen. Like Pop Star Never Stop Popping is still an absolute classic, and I will watch that every year and still find it insanely funny. Um, if you get a chance, try and watch Brigsby Bear. He's, he's very. It's that's a bit more of like sort of the this version of Sandberg. It's not him being funny so much. Oh God, I remember seeing the trailer. It's um. Yeah. God, yeah, that's good. Mark Hamill's involved, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, Mark Hamill's in it. It's um, uh, Matt Walsh from Veep and Claire Danes is in oh, it as well. Oh, Matt Walsh Actually. is always brilliant. Yeah, yeah. wow. Again, I've never very seen much, the trailer. Yeah, mm. that's him very much. He's not playing for laughs in that. It's very much playing a bit a bit darker as well. So I would definitely, if you're looking for that version of um, of Sandberg, oh, I would yeah. definitely say that's the one to um, to look for if, if you're looking for something like that. But yeah. Cracking film, and like I said, only reason probably not on my list. Probably, I think I forgot about it. To be honest, it was. I think it was the first film I watched this year. Like, yeah, it's 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 a cracking film. Um, it just very good. Yeah, very good. If you're looking for a time travel film, the Map of Tiny Perfect Things is also out on Amazon, and it's it's much it's a much sweeter version, and much more teeny version of it, um, like a young adult version of it. But I, I found it equally as charming and, and lovely. To be honest, I um, watched I watched Map of Tiny perfect things. Did you like it? I thought it was absolutely adorable. It I thought was. it was it was yeah. so good. Do you know I felt like it was 2017 again and we were watching Dope and um uh, Mia and the Perfect Girl. It was just such a beautiful little sweet indie film. It was yeah. just so full yeah. of heart. It was it was very good. I don't really understand why there hasn't been more made of it. Yeah, it was, that's it was absolutely not 
Yeah, it I think it was like 11 just, or 12 for me. Yeah. 11 or 12. Mm. It, just, it felt a bit lost, and that was, that was a real shame. Um, but I really enjoyed that film. Uh, my number eight was A Harder They Fall, which we talked about at length. Uh, number seven on your list is The Father. Um, mm. Again, almost made my list. Um, it's all about a man who's suffering from dementia. Um, mm. And it's basically his life unfolding through the eyes of well, himself and also others in his house, his daughters and um, in-laws as you sort of see what dementia can do to people as it sort of unravels this man's brain. Starring Anthony Hopkins, who won the Oscar for it, rightly so, um, in, I think, both our opinions. Yes. <laughs> um, I think both of us have kind of semi-experienced all this right now, so it's it sort of maybe mm-hmm. touched on, it touched the right place, and there's sort of a lot of yeah. recognisable stuff in it. But just a really powerful performance from... Uh, from Hopkins and I mean also from Olivia Coleman playing his daughter as well but it's just it's just a it's just a sad film to watch more than anything else and I think that's what I got from it like it was just the inevitability of it and as everything starts to unfold and you get and you begin to piece together what's happening there's just a, just an abject sadness to it um, and it, it becomes really tough to watch at that point because you you can uh, it doesn't all fall into place until the final sort of 10 minutes but it's just, it's so bleak it, towards the end of it. And it just, it just, it, it really was just a sad, sad watch. Um, a very good watch in terms of filmmaking, but just, just a tough watch. I agree with everything you just said. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those films, irrespective of our own individual circumstances, we would still uh, commend the performances. I think I have to make special mention for Olivia Coleman because... For me, she 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 started as uh, Soph in Peep Show, and, yeah. and she was great in that. But now she's a Hollywood star, which is just yeah. insane. But and, she's, uh, she's the one who makes she, the dirty jokes in Hot Fuzz. You know, she's like, yeah, she's she's, one, she's she's a side character with Paddy Constantine making uh-huh. dirty jokes in Hot Fuzz. Uh, but she has such she has that Frances McDormand quality of just yeah. feeling completely real and and completely relatable. That could be your mum. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and just so likable. Hopkins is a fucking marvel. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense. The man is knocking on the door of 90, and he is delivering sensational lines. Take away the the, the somber sorrow of what we're witnessing. The mm. lines and the performance is so nuanced. The thing about dementia, as we both know, is it is, you more than myself, but it is, it's the full cavalcade of emotion. It's a performance. Yeah. Yeah, that's and it's sad yeah. and it's angry and it's 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 lovable and it's fucking detestable and it's it is the full gamut. It's everything. It's it's a perfect old actor's role. Yeah, if they yeah. can remember their lines. Yeah. Ironically. Yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? It's crazy. I couldn't remember those lines. No, you know, it's it's insane how good he is. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. None of it makes sense. It's the first thing I thought about it, and I was interested. I read up afterwards. I didn't know anything about it again. Uh, is that it was a play before, and I was like, "Of course it was," because I said to Lisa, "This feels like a play." Like I, I was watching it, going, "This feels like a play." Yeah, this is. It had a kind of I can't even remember the name of the film that was a play adaptation, but it had Christoph Waltz. It was very much a, a few of them in. I said, oh, I can't remember who else. Oh, it's saying it. one about the the the, it's the the two groups of parents meeting because two it's groups like, of parents. Yeah, Kate Winslet in it as well. Kate Winslet, yeah, and it was a, it was a, oh god, yeah, this kind of, 
This, something's, hap- uh, something's happened at school, essentially. Something's yes. happened, and a very, uh, a min- it's proper minutia, but truncated. And it's yeah. The, this is the only see. These are the only places we're going to see this house and this house, and it's all about the dialogue. Uh, so it felt to me like a play, and I was I was quite carnage. Was the name of that film? Sorry, carnage. Carnage. Yeah. Big fan of carnage. Yes. Yeah. Very. It felt like carnage to me, and uh, and um, I'll be honest. And maybe uh, I imagine you were the same. I'm just a bit jaded by seeing so many films. I kind of guessed the beats, and I, I remember saying, "Well, she's him, and she's them." And, and but it's not about that. Yeah. It's not about yeah. that. It's it's about that uh, disorientating, druggy confusion. And yeah. fucking hell, doesn't Hopkins play it well? And he is absolutely. And it's so. I don't know if it's deliberate, but it's so nice that he's he's a lover of orchestral music mm. because it's so in tune. It feels like a rhythm, and that's the only rhythm he has. All yeah. the rest, yeah. the rhythm of his life is gone, and it's just yeah. out of kilter. And there's a chicken. The whole film is about this fucking chicken's being brought to the house for a meal, and there are all these horrible, terrifying characters. These, uh, these, uh, you know, embodiments of toxic masculinity who some exist and some don't yeah um and and this grief that he can't recall but it is it is pronounced and it is strong uh and he's he's so horrible and so visceral and so lovely and so charismatic sometimes within a minute it's a fucking incredible performance by him i think olivia coleman plays it so subtly and so wonderfully and she is the most relatable character in a sense because it's just if you are going through that that is such a lonely place to inhabit and yeah. she plays it perfectly as she always does like there's no flaws to her she's incredible um but hopkins it's in the list for me just because mainly um obviously it's a it's a very well created film it is a better play, I'm sure, mm. I, um, in terms of a, a, a cinema experience. It's even for me, it's fucking relentlessly bleak. But, yeah, uh, the, I think the there's one interest as well about it is about Hopkins. Is it felt like Hopkins was definitely on the downswing of his career. Yeah. Like this, this didn't feel like it. You know, he's been doing, basically doing bit parts. You know, stuff like you know, in Thor, in for ten minutes, enjoyable, have fun with yes. it. You know, enjoy it. Yes. Like Red Two and stuff like that, Noah as well, and for like two like couple of scenes, and then that's him. You know, doesn't feel like he had any sort of energy to be. This no, he's, again. he's he's older than, uh, than Hackman, isn't he? So or the same yeah. age. So you just think he's done, and that's fine. He can he can turn up every now and again, and that that will be fine. You do an hour on set, Anthony. Thank you very much. You're a legend. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. But he he has the the mainstay of all the dialogue. Didn't yeah. know we had that in him. Crazy to remember yeah. all that and just to yeah. perform it to that level. It is, it is like, I don't know. It's it's akin to um, a, a great sportsman suddenly just channeling the brilliance of old. And it's yeah. just where it's, does that come from for one game? You know, it's Tiger Woods winning the that last Masters. It's that level. Perfect. You know, like, yeah, and I, I, I knew you'd find the analogy. That's exactly <laughs> what. That's exact. That is exactly what it is that is exactly what it is and you're just marveling at it the whole time yeah to be honest that took me out of the film because i was just like this is unbelievable what he's doing i wish i didn't know that was anthony hopkins in a way because this Uh is it was a bit like what was the incredibly fucking bleak german film about dementia and love by hanukkah um michael hanukkah 
Oh, I can't remember what it was. It's, I think it might just be called Love, but it, yes, it's a yes, beautiful yeah. film. Yeah, and, it, and that is a beautiful film. I don't know the actors because they're German. Yeah. And it's so sad. And it's actually very similar in terms of massive apartment. and But it, it's different because it's two lovers and one's caring for the other. And uh, But it, it tries to go for psychological drama. I don't know if that works overtly. Um, but it's... It's a it's a nice spin. It doesn't become this morose grief wank. You know, it's it's there's so much love and hardship and reality to it. Um, and the final the final ten minutes um, is up there with the most affecting scenes I've ever w- witnessed in cinema history. It is that. It is so powerful and so well written. It is one of my has one of my all time favorite lines. Um, which I'll bastardize now, and I've probably forgotten. But he says, "I, I, I am, a, I am a tree. And I, my leaves are falling off. My leaves yeah. are falling off." Something like that. And it's just fucking incredible. And when he just regresses to this state of childhood, and he wants his mummy, fucking hell, that is. Oof. I remember we, we walked out of the cinema after we saw it in the cinema and walking out of the cinema, it was just this sort of this utter silence and this, you know, you, something you walk out of the cinema, you hear up, you can get a bit of chatter, people talking about the film and things like that. Nothing it wasn't. People, people just sort of very solemnly just kind of walked out and had to take a breath you know you had to sort of take a moment before you like went and on that's your nice day. yeah that's nice though that's nice that there was that it impacted upon people in that way you know that's yeah. i'm really glad he won the oscar because like, jesus there's nothing better than that like <laughs> this stunning. I was, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised i thought they were going to give it to chadwick boseman just because of the um the narrative behind it obviously with um you know him passing away and then to sort of push to, to give him an Oscar. I thought that would be enough to push him over the edge and get him the Oscar, which right or wrong would have been deserved in some way. But I think the best performance What out was the was, Bozeman film? Uh, Mad Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Very, very yeah. good. Yeah, very, very good. No, yeah, very no good. complaints about it, but it's a wonderful performance. No. But I feel that um, uh, Hopkins... It's a bit like one of those things, you know, should a team win the World Cup if they get to the final four times in a row and don't win? It's like, no, if it's something you just unlucky. If you get, come to get up yeah. against four teams and you lose four yeah. finals, you're just the unfortunate team who lose four finals. You sometimes you're beaten by a better man. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I agree with all of those statements. Yeah. Um, so my number seven was a completely different from the father in, in every way, and that's called Werewolves Within, which is... <laughs> 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 to bring it back. No, but I, if I remember correctly, that's about dementia-ridden werewolves. Yes, it is very much so. Um, it's certainly not a, a sort of um, werewolf film, Shaun the Dead style dog soldier set in a small Alaskan village that's been cut off by the weather, and it's um, these group of idiot locals trying to survive the, the werewolf attack. Um, it's an idea that on paper has been done a thousand times before, um, and it's been done well sometimes, and it's been done badly sometimes. When a, an idea like this much like in something like Dog Soldiers or Shaun the Dead, when it's done well and it, they find a little bit of freshness to it, not much, but just enough to keep you interested, and you bring good actors in who get, who know how to do a script, it, it adds so much to a very simple concept. Um, this one's got Sam Richardson, who this felt like a real breakout role for him, the guy from... I love him. Yeah. He's great. And tons of stuff. Um, and he's, he feels like he's been the next kind of major big kind of like comic actor. He's fantastic so. in it. Um, mm-hmm. It's really good, and it's got a really, a really good, strong cast. Um, and it's just, I get, it's on the list mainly because of surprise. I, I expected very little from it. Um, 
So when you watch a film, you're not expecting much from it, and it absolutely, you know, does something. You're like, this is really well done, and this is really funny, and it had a, a good creep factor to it. Um, but no, it's just it's one of those films you go, this is a really well done film, um, and takes an idea that's been done many times before, that you've seen done many times before, and makes it feel original, which it's not a bad, it's not a bad. But it's thing. rare in this day and age. Uh, yes. It's 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 not one another one of them where. I really need to start two weeks before we do the yeah. pod because yeah. I would have got round to it because I have it recorded ready to go yeah. with, along with like four or five others. Um, and I love Sam Richardson. I just think he has incredible charisma on screen. He is funny and he's so charming, but he, he has darkness too. There's a film yeah. on my yeah. list where he's in and he's not a good person at all. No. Um, and uh, he's just, he's got full range. Yeah. Um, he showed that in Ted Lasso. He could be both. He can yeah. turn it on and off like a switch. And he's just, he's he is the real deal. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I hope he gets a, he's a supporting player right now, but I hope he gets a um, a, a mainstay performance. Yeah, I I, I know I'm going to like this. It's, yeah. it's very much in my wheelhouse. So he seems like a bit like a Kamel Nanjani. Is it Kamel Nanjani? Yes, yes. He needs yeah, yeah. something to break him out now, you know, and he's not quite mm-hmm. had that yet. He's in the Tomorrow War with... <coughs> yeah, I loved it. I loved him in the Tomorrow War. Yeah, I he, he feels like in a different film. The rest of the films are completely one way and he's sort of this, like, comic relief when a film didn't really realise it wanted comic relief. Like, he seemed to be no, he, he gave... The... It's weird because Chris Pratt was so dull in it, but he, yeah. which is odd for him, but uh, he, he really brought colour to it. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed that film, really dug that film. Um, like I said, it's, it's very much the opposite of The Father, but it was a really fun film this year. Um, number six, I've got another round, which we've already talked about at great length. Um, number six for yourself is, amazingly, it wasn't, it didn't get close to my list, but it was closer than probably I would expect a film by Wes Anderson to be, um, and that is The French Dispatch, um, which... Is it on near the same way a Spielberg film's on for me that I just feel compelled to do it for you, for Wes Anderson, or did you genuinely enjoy it? No. No, I like to think I can be objective. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I think I love this more than most other people. Um, Well, let me ask you, let me break it down, let me ask you a question. So there's three stories in it, okay? Yes, there's a story in the prison, there's a story of the... The uprising, sort of like the the, the 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 college sort of like protests, and there's a story about the kidnapping. Yeah, that's the three stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Did you enjoy all three, or was, or did you think it, it, maybe one wasn't that good? I enjoyed all three. I think okay, fair, were, enough, fair enough. No, I, I I didn't come away going that story isn't good. I came away going well that story didn't work as well as the others. Okay. For me, it was a bit like uh, Buster Screw. Um, Buster Scruggs. Yes, very much so, yeah. But I could enjoy them all for what they were. Like, like, I don't know. For me, something like this, there's a a bleeding between, um, this sounds very fucking pretentious, but someone who writes and someone who watches. So for me, I watch this and I go, fucking hell, the writing is absolutely off the chart. Yes. Like it really is. Like it really is. Like, and it's it's an ode to writing. So it Wes Anderson doing an ode to writing is it's it it just ticks all the boxes for me. Like mm-hmm. it, it really is everything I want 
yes, he's got the ensemble cast. He's he's very on brand. Yes, he's got the little animated bit. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And yes, he's got the little stylistic quirks. Those things really don't matter to me that much. Despite okay. being despite him being my probably my favorite director, it's not why I love him, which might surprise a lot of people, but I know it doesn't with you, you know how I feel about him. Yep. But it for me, the thing I've always loved about Wes Anderson is the writing. Yeah, I, it's been my favorite thing. Like his dialogue, his the nuance between between characters, between particularly between family characters, absolute conflict, mm. subtlety between parents and sons and daughters and siblings and lovers. I love all that stuff. It's very fucking French. You know, it makes it sense. Um, and it's it's it, and the French are the most. You know, they don't they don't fucking say what they mean in the same way that the British do. But they what they don't say, they they leave to chance, and what they do say is poetic. So it's perfect yeah. for. For Anderson, um, I love this because it was literally a, a series of vignettes dedicated to the written word. So not all of it worked. Uh, for me, it's all about Del Toro. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. See, like I said, okay, I, say to you that I love the first story. The first story I thought was fantastic. I really enjoyed the third story as well, the one with the the kidnapping. I guess I did lose a lot of interest with the middle story regarding the sort of the, the uprising and what the kids that that just that really just I, I, I checked out of that story I really didn't care enough despite yeah. the fact it's got a great cast in it uh, we discussed Francis McDormand's in it so it's going to be a good cast but Calame just has to be there because he's got a French surname yep. and he's beautiful yeah that's fine that's really makes up the chunk of the um, the runtime, so that's why I kind of checked out a little bit. But I enjoyed the first, like the the Del Toro, the initial um, Del Toro one. I thought was excellent. I really enjoyed that story. So good, so good. I I loved um, the Jeffrey Wright character as well. Like yes, some of the excellent. writing yeah. there, just just it's some of it's some of Anderson's best writing. Mm. I think I think Anderson is he's basically written an incredible novel here and put it into film version. Yeah, I, I would. Tarantino did a film version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would like, uh, sorry, a novelistic version of that. Mm. I would like a novelistic version of The French Dispatch because I, I genuinely think the dialogue and the writing and the syntax is so, so, so fucking good. Like, mm. so in, inestimably great. I would like that. Yeah. I think that it's almost lost a bit in, in the realms of his little worlds. It's, it's so beautiful and so, oh, yeah, it, it blew me away to be honest. Like, and how and I say this as an Anderson fanboy, I always come away going, "Yeah, it's where's Anderson, so I'm happy." But this really did remind me why I love him, and I haven't had that in a while. It's probably what Inglorious Bastards did for you know, well, for us as well. But mm. um, QT fans, it's a it's a reminder that they don't you don't go away going, "Yeah, that was good. Mm. That great director we love. That's still he's still good." You know, it's a case of Fuck, he's he's on another level. That that's yeah. how I yeah. came away with uh, French Dispatch. I know that's it's a viewpoint um, not necessarily shared by many, but it's the, it's for me. I see it as a kind of sibling to Royal Tenenbaums, which is my favourite. Was so yeah. No, no. I, like I said, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, I just it was a middle story. Just didn't do it for me. Um, it, it 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 made me lose interest. And if I'm losing interest in one third of the film. It's not usually a, a, hard to get back, right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. you can still say I enjoyed the first, I enjoyed all two thirds of it. But if there's a third of it I'm not enjoying, I'm like, well, I'm not really going to go back to that too often. If there's a whole third of the film that I'm really not that invested in, yeah, um, that's but fine. Yeah, definitely, that. definitely. Um, 
I'm, I'm warming to Wes Anderson in, in my old age. Um, I'm warming to him in my old age. I will eventually like him. Um, on my deathbed, or, you'll say, you'll say, <laughs> I like Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, number six on my list was sorry. Number six is an all round. Number five in your list, an all round, which we've talked at length. Um, number five on my list was Godzilla versus Kong, which we've talked about at length as well. It had a monkey fight a fucking go- um, dinosaur. On I love on you, the- but that is outrageous. Five, yeah. that is outrageous. Again, sheer, enjo- <laughs> sheer, sheer enjoyment of the film. That's all it was. It was pure. That's what I needed at that time, and it's pure enjoyment of the movie. That's. It's I don't judge you for that, man. Like yeah. it, it really was what we all needed in a mad yeah. way. No, I get it. And also, it, people were going to forget about that trilogy. That's, that's actually a very solid trilogy of movies. See the Godzilla, then Godzilla. There's King no bad Monsters, film. No, there's then, no bad film in that. that. No, there isn't. The Skull Island one, people seem to be not giving it as much love, but I enjoyed that. So even as a four film like sort of grouping, it's not a bad four films to sit and watch. You know, I've, I've definitely well, there is, watched... There's no stinker, is there? There's no, no stinker in any of them, no. Yeah, I mean, King of the Monsters is a bit dark in the sense that you can't see what's going on for a lot of it sometimes, but other than that, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's yeah, in the Chandler. literal sense, it's dark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got Kyle Chandler, <laughs> and everyone loves Kyle Chandler. So, yeah, um, I enjoy all those films. <laughs> um, so, because LV Kong, number five on my list, and I don't hold back anything, I, I will defend that to the end. Um, number, <laughs> <laughs> number four on your list is Nomadland, which we talked about at great length. Number four on my list is one called The Green Knight, which I know has divided opinion amongst a lot of people. Um, you mentioned before off mic that you thought it was awful slow, and I mean, we just didn't have the, the sort of whip of all to sort of invest in it. You know, when you're trying mm. to cram as many films in as possible, which I do totally get. It's a it's a glacially slow movie. Um, it is worth your time if you take the time to to push through that and watch it. Because it's, it's a great performance from Des Patel. Um, there's a great performance by Ralph Innocent as uh, the Green Knight as well. Um, and it's 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 just a it's a film you need to wash over you. And I think the big difference between I saw this film was I saw it in the cinema, and um, where your attention is completely held on it, and you really can't look anywhere else. Whereas because of its glacially slow pace, watching it at home with all the distractions of modern life, I think you do tend to sort of just naturally meander away from it. And um, so I think yeah. it's a film that has to be seen on the big screen. And I I generally dug it in a big way. I, I was. I haven't rewatched it, so I'm intrigued to know what I'd like if I rewatch it. But in the moment, watching the cinema, I was absolutely engrossed by it, engrossed by Dev Patel in it, um, and I was just on the edge of, of what was going to happen in it, and just kind of bit. You know, Dave Lowry as a director, he just wants to he wants to spend time with with his characters. He doesn't rush anything. He's not in any. No, no, totally. Not... Agree. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. he, he doesn't pander at all. Doesn't at pander, all. but he's not like. Um, uh, like PTA who sometimes doesn't know when to cut away and just sort of spends way too long or, or a tennis Malik who doesn't really know when to cut away he seems to know how long an audience can have but he's in no rush to let you let you go but he, get, but he doesn't you know he doesn't test your patience as much as them maybe you could disagree with that because you, you have to give up on it halfway through but to me it was a sort of he knew exactly what the audience could handle um, and, and for that I, I generally really enjoyed it a lot I need to revisit. I, I, I watched an hour and I found it an interminable slog. If yeah. it wasn't David Lowry, I would have absolutely bailed and given it yeah. nothing. I did not, I didn't enjoy it. I, yeah, I it's not fair enough. Like, yeah. I, I think he's a filmmaker who will get you talking the same way that, you know. Yes, 
Yes. Um, oh, absolutely. No, like, he is. He really is. No, no, I, something... I'm a big fan of him. You know, yeah, I loved sure. a ghost story. And I can that, imagine lots of people hated it. You know, yeah, so, that's the thing. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest debates you've ever had on this podcast. I mean, Colin, regarding the ghost story, didn't know if he liked it or not, but we're completely and utterly perplexed by it and sort of in, in And that's better it. than ambivalence, right? You know, yeah, exactly. mediocrity. Yeah. It makes yeah. you talk. And, he, and like I said, in that respect, he's not willing to pander to anyone. And I, and I do appreciate no. that. So number oh, four yeah. on my number four on my list is the polar opposite of Godzilla versus Kong, and that is the Green Knight. Um, number three on your on your list was um, our film of the year, The Mitchells versus the Machines. Um, number three on my list was the Sparks Brothers documentary from Edgar Wright. Um, which nice. I'm putting on because I knew nothing about who the Sparks Brothers were. I knew, I think I half knew one song by them, only because you told me what the song was. Um, yeah. And all of that... Probably knew Faith and More Vision. Yeah. I, I knew nothing about this band. Um, I really watched it more the fact that it was the an Edgar Wright movie. That's sort of what more intrigued me about it, that he's so obsessed with this band that he's putting a documentary about together. And loved it. Like, just, I have, I don't know if I'm still, I don't know if I'm a fan of the band yet, and it still doesn't seem like the music I'm particularly into, but I'm a fan of them as people. Um, I like them. Yeah, you know, I like who they are. I like this idea of them not pandering to the world and just sort of being, very much being originals in in a world of sort of, you know, when... Everything is very samey at times. They seem to be very much very unique creatures in their own on their own world and don't really need to um pander to anything. And they just seem again, much like the documentary Anvil, where it's like the metal band who just do it for themselves and this maybe one day success will come to them. They're very much like this in the Welsh Park Brothers, they do it very much for themselves. They're not in any way actively pursuing fame. If anything, they are if anything, they almost you know run away from fame by either being doing something completely ridiculous or being too far ahead of the game because that was a thing that came up a few times where they were doing something and no one really knew what it was and then five years later everyone's doing it you know the whole like electric music type thing they like no one really knew who the fuck what they were doing and then five years later human league come along and so the arithmetic come along and just basically do the exact same stick as them and make millions out of it so the, the, the definite sense in that that they were um sort of a wee bit ahead of the game um sometimes I, yeah definitely no I, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see this because I know a little bit more about Sparks than you, but I, it's, and I, I love those. I love contrarians in any art form. Those who and the, who who create and they innovate, and then when people catch on, they go, "Okay, I'm bored now." And yeah. that that that's what Bob Dylan was, you know, in a, in, a, in a kind of very popular sense. As soon as the folk movement, like, oh, we have our saviors. Like, they're bored now. I'm going to pick them on. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's just, they're not doing it for you. They're not doing it to be part of a movement. They're doing it for them. Yeah. It's a wholly selfish, creative endeavor. They're doing it for them. And if, if it happens to catch fire, then great. But they really don't care. It's no. it's like a primal scream. It's like something they have to let out. They yeah. don't care about it being commercially viable, you know, Uh and uh, anyone who does that has my absolute utmost respect, especially a band who've been going for 50 years. And yes. they still create incredibly creative and weird fucking... They they literally are one of the most singular bands who've ever existed. It doesn't make... Every genre that they inhabit, they are about five years ahead or behind. Yeah, they're never, they're never yeah. pandering to the sort of the middle ground. They're always very much... And they you know, don't care. No, they, they don't, don't they do it interest them and they do what they feel they want to do. And yeah. that's that to me is quite amazing. Um, I love that. Yeah. Because I, I always think certainly music documentaries, they tend to work for me a lot better if I don't know much about the band. 
interesting. If I, know about, yeah. if I know about the band, then I'm only wanting to hear good stuff about them. I don't really want to hear the shit a little bit. I don't want to, I just want to be justified in liking this band a little bit. You know, yes. sometimes, you know, I don't want to hear the, the, I don't want to see how the sausage is made. I'm just like, you make great albums. I love you. I'm happy with that. When it's a band who I have no <laughs> sort of investment in, then I'm like, you know, I want to hear about what makes you tick a little bit more. Um, wow. And from that's cool that, that it's so high. I didn't expect it to be that high for you. That's really interesting. That's cool. Yeah, really enjoyed it. So I would put that at number three. You had Mitchell Machines. Number two for me was West Side Story. Um, I would say this, my top one and two were interchangeable. And then the other three to 10, I think, were a bit more, Sort right. of, yeah, one and two were, were, were way ahead of everything else, I, I, I would probably say. Um, number two for you is one that I don't know why it's not on my list. But I can't think of a reason why I didn't like it, but I, I just, I did enjoy it, but it never really even came close to getting on my list for some reason. Um, and that is Promising Young Woman. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was an excellent film and I, I, I liked how it messed around with genre, but it just never quite clicked with me in the same way it does with some people. Why did you like it? Um, well, I guess for me, my my top two is an absolute bird burn and duo. But yeah. uh, no, I uh, it's not because of that. It it blew my mind how good this was. Actually, mm. I, I I went into it with very low expectations. I thought it was going to be a very kind of woke, um, a woke diatribe, and I just thought yeah. it would be. I didn't think it would have edge. I thought it would mm. be very. I, uh, plundering and, and very uh, meh. I thought it would be a, a big bowl of meh in truth. Yeah. And it had so much edge and so much heart, weirdly, like a heart of darkness. Um, and I, I, again, I thought it was expertly directed by, um, I can't remember her name, Fenella. Emerald yeah, Fennell. Yes. And uh, she, I only know her from playing Camilla in The Crown. Yeah, she's an actress. She's an actress, isn't she? She was a writer, director. She was. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. she's apparently. Uh, I can't remember what film you mentioned earlier. Someone had to do a short film before they got the go-ahead for the full version. She oh, the Hardly Falls. Yes, she did the same for this. Apparently, oh, exceptional. She? Yeah, exceptional forty-minute short film. Can't remember what it's called, and uh, that garnered a lot of attention. And you know, she wrote and directed this, and it's, it's, it's. I think a fucking. I think it's a masterwork. And it's in terms of we talk about horror films holding up a mirror to society. This is as good as it gets for 2021, I think, or for the past few years of the culture wars and everything else. I think in terms of the Brett Kavanaugh um, fiasco, mm. this just sums it up. The good guy who thinks he's a good guy, but is he a good guy? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a conversation. It's a conversation that needs to happen. Rather than an accusation, yeah. I don't think it's saying you're a bad person inherently. I think it's saying, well, you think you're a good person. Are you a good person? Yeah. And also, what would you do if you were betrayed? Yeah. What would you do if, if somebody you loved suffered this mm. and lost everything? And it's it's it, everything about it, I, I just think the detail is so Tarantino, weirdly. Mm. I think she's a doctor. She's very fucking smart. Yeah. Straight away, she's very fucking smart. She outsmarts everybody. She out and she's a genius doctor. And it doesn't do that in any way as exposition. Mm. It tells you subtly in a really subtle way. And it's also so clever. You know, she's chewing bubblegum. She dresses like an 18-year-old. That's when her life ended. 
her best friend died then or her soul died it's never actually said what happened but we assume she killed herself mm. and uh, i think she died i think that is mentioned at some point is it mentioned i, I think it yeah. is yeah i remember saying she died but i don't remember it saying she killed herself but yeah in any case but it's they were more than just friends and so it's a film about the power of friendship mm. and how and being a single child as well yeah and how that can be stronger um it's a film about so many things it's obviously a revenge film mm. it's obviously a film about and it's such a clever a, a, a film about modern age it's 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 a film about how easy it is to think you're the good guy when you're not yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's so clever I, I, I just think everything about it, the beats are perfect. I don't think there's a beat wasted. I mm. honestly think, I don't think they got anything wrong. I, I mm. genuinely came away going, oh, they, I was expecting this and they did this. And there's just, there's just so much. And like you, I remember you saying to me, it's like a rom-com an hour in. And that scene with her and Bo Burnham, Carrie Mulligan and Bo Burnham in the pharmacy dancing to Paris Hilton. Yes. I mean, Bo Burnham has such, I'll talk about him more later, but he has such charisma and charm. He's, you just want to hang around him and it's so funny and so natural. And you're like, oh, she deserves this. She needs some warmth and love in her yeah. life. And there's a great scene. I can't remember that you'll remember his character actor, but the dad, your man from um, oh. Shawshank Redemption. Clancy Brown, my friend. Are we going to say Clancy, Clancy Brown? Brown. He's a cooking, for God's sake. Isn't he? Yeah, of course he is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, let you down. I knew that would I would result in your ire. Yeah. yeah. Clancy the man Brown is triples. My God, Clancy yeah. Brown. The man <laughs> is a legend. <laughs> but what a, what a character actor, you know, pantheon of greats he, he resides in. Uh, you just see him playing a nice character, not with playing the big guy. I, 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 I know. Really, I enjoyed that I thought, a little bit. I thought that. And then you got Stifler's mum as well, which is... Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but just just a film that for me feels like for a man that spent three years writing a novel, it feels like she spent three years writing that. Like yeah, it feels that, it feels like that took a long time. Doesn't yeah. feel like anything's wasted. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It just it really spoke to me. And it's there's there can't be a happy ending, can there? And it, you really, my God, you want there to be. Mm. But how can there be? She can't exist without, there's always that shadow. And that moment where she plays the Alison Brie, who's great playing the yeah. Alison Brie archetypal role, uh, gives her the, the phone. And when she plays that video, that is like horror. That's pure yeah. horror. And you don't see it. And that makes it all the more powerful. But you hear his voice. And that is a dagger through the heart. And that's where the hope is gone. It's yeah. the hope that kills you. It's like yeah. a football mantra, isn't it? And, and it's gone then. And then you're like, well, what chaos is going to happen? What's going to happen? And you're waiting for it to unfold, but it keeps it surprising. The pre-scheduled messages. I, it's just, I, I, I think it's great, man. Yeah. I, no, I couldn't I get, believe I, how good it was. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. It's a wonderfully well-done film. Um, it's just one of those films where it, 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 I get everything that it was doing was right, but it never really got me. In the same way that I try to think of another example of a film like that that might have, there probably isn't anything really like that to be honest that that got me. You know, like you probably say, like maybe something like Get Out or something. It it grabs yes. me in a certain I think, way. I think Get Out is the one that it, it most resonates with me. Yeah, yeah, I, it, 
Yeah. Whereas the, the get out just seemed to hook me and seems to get me. This never, I, I, I can't pinpoint any one thing. I, I'm not saying it's a bad film, but it's not a bad film. It's a very good film and the performances yeah. are excellent. The writing's fantastic. It's well directed. It's got Clancy Brown in it. I will watch anything with Clancy Brown. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, it just never really, it just didn't twig didn't that land. magic string. You know, you, you yeah. something you just doesn't pluck it. You know why? If, and you don't get why. It's like yeah, sometimes it has, it why do I like have. that band? Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. I had a giant lizard fighting a giant monkey on a battleship, then I probably would have got it more. Yeah, well, it would be good if they just threw that in at the end. Yeah. <laughs> every, every film needs that. That's the, the, the lizard. Ju- the lizard just shouts, "This is for the patriarchy." Yeah. Smug- <laughs> um, oh, I maybe mean, didn't like the fact that they made um, Schmidt from the new guy, eh, not the new guy, um, the new girl. They made him an asshole. I'm like, oh no, I like Schmidt. Schmidt's, Schmidt's my friend. He's got, like he's, Schmidt. he's got, he's got an asshole face though. Oh, I he has 100. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. in the, the first two seasons of the New Girl, he has an asshole. He feels like an asshole, but he's he's such a kind of like a bit like um, not Silicon Valley, um, the league where once you get, he's a nice guy who just looks like an asshole. <laughs> he actually really, yeah. like, he's, he's got a lot of heart to him. But um, yeah, they made him an asshole. Can't do anything with a resting bitch face. That's the problem. Yeah, it's tough. But no, I get, I get why it's in your list. I get why it's very high. And um, it's one of those films I wanted to love more than I loved. You know, when I liked. You know, I wanted to really, really get behind it. I just and I would, and I went in thinking I would, I would be, <laughs> I didn't, I wouldn't enjoy it that much. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it was, it was knocking on the door for me. But yeah, yeah, cracker. Um, Number one on my list was Metro's Versus Machines for all the reasons we have given in the past. And um, like I said, I loved it. First time I saw it, I knew it was my number one for the year. And everything else for this, he was just trying to displace it. And I'll be honest, West Side Story came close, but not close enough in terms of the... Uh, well, fact, yeah, it came very close, but nothing else came even within the same sort of postcode as it. Um, this year, um, it was, for me, the, the, the standout film of... In terms of just enjoyment, emotion... Everything. I just, I, I absolutely loved it from, from start to finish. You know, I will go back to it, <coughs> you know, over and over again. And I think that's important. It has that instant rewatch value. Um, that, that it I'll is a masterpiece. Through. It's not just a good film. It is a masterpiece. Yeah. It, it and, genuinely is. Yeah. yeah. And the talk of Hell So Far does not talk about a sequel so far. I'm, I'm really happy at that. Like, it doesn't need I don't to want be. there to be. Yeah. No, I don't want yeah. that to be. Yeah. You know, leave it alone. Leave it as it is. Leave it as a pair. Go do something else. By all means, go by. by Definitely, I'll be watching anything you do as directors and writers. I'll 100% be behind anything you do. But just don't don't touch that world again. Just, just let it lie as it is. You've made a perfect movie. Agreed. Yep. Um, and number one on your list was Bo Burnham Inside, which is a definitely a new one because it's, like it's not even a movie. It's a comedy special, essentially, yeah? No, it is no. a movie. It's a movie, no. okay. No, it, well, I don't know. I will defend this to the, the end. It's, it's not a stand-up. It's not stand-up in okay. any way. So it's, uh, it's hard to contextualize. So you said there that you had one film, uh, Mitchell's and the Machine versus the Machines, was as soon as you saw it, you think, if anything gets close to this, I'll be stunned. Yeah. And West Side yeah. Story came along at the end. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but still not quite. For yeah. me, I watched Inside uh, when it came out in May, I think. Yeah. And I remember seeing this going, if anything comes even one iota close to this, I will be stunned. And the only thing that did was Promising Young Woman, but even then it's not, it's not close actually, as good as Promising Young Woman is. Inside is, for me, up there with the greatest things I've ever seen. Like it is, it is, I have a poster of it right next to me now in my Mm. study, because for me it is the perfect 
um, encapsulation of the creative process. Mm. Uh, for me, it is, um, it is one of the most inspiring things I've ever watched. And um, it is a man who, who films uh, his uh, experience during lockdown in a guest house and as his hair grows and his beard grows and he stops washing and he struggles with the lack of interaction with the world during lockdown and he documents his lockdown experience mm. his if anyone doesn't know Bo Burnham is a comedian who and actor who and director if anyone hasn't seen eighth grade watch eighth, eighth grade because it's a masterpiece really a lot. yeah um he can do everything he's ridiculous um but he is, um, his starting point was as a comedian or a musical comedian, kind of like Flight of the Concords, where he would show incredible musical prowess to write songs about mundane shit that happened in his life. Mm. Um, and he became a YouTube sensation at the age of 15. So he's grown up in the internet era. And now as he's grown and become more and more you know he's grown the fuck up unfortunately his youth has been re- is lived on the internet yeah he's he struggled with that like he's yeah. had serious mental health issues and everything else and he he doesn't like and he's disowned a lot of his own stuff so it's it's complicated for him uh he went through an incredibly difficult time during lockdown well po- before lockdown his last special he was starting having panic attacks on stage and if you see his performances they're incredible they are more than just a stand-up they're barely a stand-up really it's almost like a musical meets stand-up meets performance art and it's just very funny but also very creative and the songs are great he's a genuinely great songwriter um and inside picks up where that left off uh five years after he last performed on stage and he's still only 31 it's crazy but uh he he basically documents the whole his whole time during lockdown and he writes these songs that he was hoping to sing to an audience, but he doesn't. And it's, it's beautifully paced. It's, it's a perfect, hilarious documentation of lockdown, of mental health during that period of time of somebody who's losing their mind. It's very funny, very witty, very fucking sad. Like there are a couple of songs that are just, shit is he okay that he is not in a good way and he he knows what he's doing and he 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 wrote it he directed it he he was the lighter he edited it he performed it he wrote the songs so there's there's nobody else involved so mm. from my perspective i love that shit where somebody is just proper diy doing everything and it's such a professional looking piece of work as well like for somebody yep. just to um but take away all that i think it's just it's it is the perfect encapsulation of the creative process in terms of stand-up there's not really he's not delivering lines like there's no because there's no audience so it's 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 very hard to even categorize yeah is it a musical is it a documentary it's it's very very unsettling the last 30 40 minutes is dark it's really fucking dark Mm. you you genuinely think I'm not sure what he's capable of here. He's not in a good place at all. Um, but the whole time he's playing with loads of different art forms and uh, is, I, I can't speak highly enough of it really it is, it is probably the most inspirational thing I've seen potentially ever. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's well worth a watch. Uh, I, I just, I can't, I can't wait to see what he does next. You have me intrigued. Um, I will search it out. I, I have, 
a lock. I'm not locked down. I have an I have an isolation to go ahead through over the next nine days. So I will be looking. I don't know if it will bring you down on isolation or bring you up. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it made me feel better. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will, I will look out then. I will, I will make sure I try and watch that during the next um, nine days. Um, that is us for 2021. We have discussed pretty much every film of note that has come out in 2021. Some that probably deserve more discussion than they got. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, probably spent too long on Ghostbusters Afterlife. But yeah, um, that was a lot of films that out this year. Um, anything in particular you're looking forward to in 2022 that, you, that sort of jumps out at you? Oh, fuck, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm not going to know about any film's existence until you say um, we've got the three beers and a movie podcast. So in terms of my uh, film viewing, it will be um, November, late November. But no, Licorice Pizza is the one for me. Um, You've also got Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse, part one. That's out, and you... um, Very excited about that as well, Um, I know we shouldn't be, but God damn it, they've had me hooked from childhood, and that's Jurassic World Dominion. I know it's (laughs) cheesy, but I'm, I'm in for dinosaurs. Um, well, yeah. I'll be there with Hunter. Yeah. 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 You have to go and see it for dinosaurs. You get Blonde, which is Anna Darmus playing Marilyn Monroe, which I think could either be really good or really bad, um, depending mm. on how you approach it. I'm really intrigued by that one. Moonfall, the Moonfalls. I mean, I don't know what more we want in life. I'm, I'm, I'm Mate, I forgot about Moonfall. That Moonfall. is um, that's what I'm, we need. <laughs> I am really excited to watch Death on the Nile to see how they try and make a film in which, um, who is it? The, the He's now cancelled. Oh. Um, oh, shit. What's his name? Fucking. Yeah, yeah. No, it's Winkle the Voss. Christy one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Winkle Voss. Who played Winkle Voss again? Oh, fucking hell. You're going to have to edit this out. I mean, I, did, but I can't remember who that is now. I'm, I'm really struggling who it was. Um, the oh, actor's name. That's going to. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Hammer. Yeah, sorry, Army Hammer. Yeah, so I'm yeah. I'm really intrigued by Death in the Nile as to see how they make a film where Army Hammer plays, I think, the lead character. Where the no, I think he is, yeah. He is in it, <laughs> and he is the lead, he is the lead character. <laughs> and they've got to try and make a film where they don't show him on camera at any point in order to try and promote this goddamn film. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you seen the new trailer for it? I have, yeah. Yeah, it's it's generally quite impressive how little they show of Army Hammer, well. who is the lead in this film. It's, it's absolute glimpses, glimpses at best. Um, so yeah. That would be very intriguing. And also the new Robert Eggers film, The Northman, is out this year as well. Oh looks, my fucking God. I am so excited about The Northman. Which looks, I love Eggers so much. Yeah, yeah. It looks absolutely batshit, so I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, there's a wonderfully titled film called Bullet Train out this year. Um <laughs> directed by David Leach, um, who has done some interesting work in the past, but it's basically all the assassins in the world are on a train and they're going to go after each other. Um, right, okay. It's got, a, it's got a phenomenal cast. Like Brad Pitt's like sort of like a minor member of the cast. Um, you've got <laughs> um, just at like a really, it just looks like fantastic. Like Sandra Bullock's in it, Michael Shannon's in it. Um, Holy shit. Daz Beats, Brian Tyree Henry. It's It's got a great cast and it looks pretty mental to be honest um the guy um david leach done um atomic blonde um and he did deadpool too um so he wasn't he's, enamored with either really um, but, and also uh, john and they also directed john wick i will forgive previous two for john wick so yeah yes, happy exactly. so there's, yeah. Some, there's some intriguing stuff out but I, I, there is some 2022 we'll hope, i'm sure I'm again looking forward to when like Sundance hits and then when the can hits and you start getting yes. stuff that's sort of 
that we really don't know about right now that just sort of flies in. Like no one knew about Titan until about, you know, six months ago and all of a sudden we've all seen it. We're like, holy shit. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, um, you know, you, you're looking forward to when that kind of, you know, flies through um, and, you're not, and you're not really expecting it. You know, no one really expected Parasite at the time to be as massive as it was and all of a sudden, you know. Wow, like yeah, that, that yeah. yeah, came from nowhere. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But as again, sir, as always, this was very enjoyable to sit and talk movies with you for two hours um, or two and a half hours nearly um, as, we just, as we went over the last year in film. Um, and hopefully we will do it again next year. We will do it until death. You know, it's uh, no, it's always it's always an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much. That's great. So for this week, I've been Richard. You've been Stu, and you've been listening to. Three beers and a movie.